I'm over here now. Pardon the interruption, no need for introduction. It's the drunken monk. Turn this shit up a little, son. My bucket up in smoke, sipping Bacardi till I'm giving my car keys to Jimmy Ferrari. And we out, about to go jump in a mosh pit full of hundreds of hot chicks saying something obnoxious like, I gotta put my foot in your ass permit. When I'm done, I'll cook you in a Brooklyn blast furnace. Good to see you again, my friend. Nice to see you. Thanks for having me back on. What, are you kidding me? Thanks for being so cool and like, yeah, we'll do it anytime you want. So, yeah. cheers to you. I'm not talking to a lot of people these days, so this is kind of exciting. Hey, listen, I, I talk to very, very far and few between. I talk to more people, I think, on these things than I do in real life. Yeah, yeah. I swear <laughs> to God. Yeah, man. You're on a pretty tight once a week schedule right now as far as interviews go or a little more than once a week oh i have man i have as of right now i have episodes lined up to drop every friday until like the second week of october whoa please dude you've been grinding nice it's you know there's there's only so much you can do like under the circumstances whatever i mean things are starting to open up and everything but i'm like you know what why not? You know what I mean? And, and maybe, I mean, what I might, what I'll probably wind up doing is instead of for maybe for like this series, by the way, this is episode 177 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. And it is also part five of the second five part Bane series. Um, ten total. Ten total. And then I didn't do it yet, but tentatively, the next episode after we record this one is going to be something very much Bane related. Oh, wow. Sick. Right. Okay. Um, a lot of content for the Bane fans out there. Yeah, man. And listen, that, that, that's one thing. Um, since I, you know, since I first put it out there before we did the first series, yeah. like people were just like, holy shit, you know, like that's fucking all. And and it was like the perfect timing because I had no idea. Like I said, I think I said it on several episodes, but I had no idea that the doc was going to come out or the whole thing with, with Stu with the final set. So yeah. I had no idea that that was even like on the horizon when it all started happening. I found out when I had Zach on. Zach told me that was the first I heard of it. Right, so it was right. all perfect timing, you know? Um, and then after I wrapped up all that, you know, I believe it was Zach and, and other people, just fans and friends were like, dude, like you should try to get like Pete on. You should try to get Nick. You know, a lot of people were like, dude, I feel like you could have did so much more and talk so much longer with Bedard and stuff like that. So I was like, all right. So I just hit up everybody and, and it went Pete, then Stu, then Nick, then Steve Fallis. <laughs> And you. He's the best. Yeah. Yeah. Steve hit me up and was like, you know, me and Zach were talking. And, uh, you know, maybe, maybe you know, I, I think that I've probably been to the most Bane shows except for the band themselves. So maybe I could tell a few stories. I'm like, you want to come on and shoot the shit, man? Come on and let's shoot the shit. That's awesome. Yeah. Just as simple as that, man. I don't like to complicate the issue, you know? Right. Stevie was right. in the inner circle for sure. He was there for... 
healthy chunk of. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was telling stories, man. Like, I mean, from, I mean, everyone who's listening to this already listened to that, but, you know, growing up on a farm up in Canada with all cut, like, how did you come from that to next thing you know, it's like the chaos of being on the road with a touring band and like such completely different worlds. How yeah. it's, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lengthy one too. It's over two hours. That's awesome. Yeah, man. Yeah. Now, Ben had a weird thing about us where we sort of had this policy with certain people where we, where we grew close to certain friends and they became almost more than friends and that their connection with the band was so deep that they, we, we wanted that experience to just sort of be open to them to sort of come along as much as, as they could. And there was sort of a core of kids you know, a lot of the people that you, you'd hear talking about having seen us a hundred times or stuff, there was a core of friends that became much more than just sort of like Bane fans, but people that were rearranging their lives yeah. in ways to be a part of what we were doing. And, you know, they understood that there was a place in the van for them, but they needed to coordinate all the other shit. Right. And it was always sort of overwhelming to see that there was a small group of people that were very active in doing that in like, booking flights and taking time off work and being like, Hey, we're going to fly into New Jersey. We're going to roll with you guys for six days and I have to go home. But then big Bob is going to get in the van and he's going to come for a while. We had a real sort of family about it that I think is one of the things that is most missing from the documentary. Sadly, is that those people's story really didn't get told. And I feel like their story is so unique to our band. A lot of bands don't get to have that people who were just like, willing to just sacrifice whatever they yeah. needed to do to be a part of it because they knew the band was going to be very welcoming to them. You know, you sure pass like a muster test with us and we're like, wow, this person is absolutely an incredible person. We want to be around them more. And we would just make room for them in the van and in the hotels and stuff. And by the end, it was incredible. By the end, you know, these people desperately wanted to be a part of it as they knew time was running out. Right. And I would like start a tour and just not even know. And like Bobby would be like, okay, here's how it's going. This guy's coming for the whole tour. Kristen's going to be there for two weeks and then Devon is going to show up and it would just all be coordinated despite us. Like we weren't inconvenienced. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It pretty yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's, like, it's also like these people, they also add a completely different dynamic to everything that's going on. It's a spot in the van. And like you, and they, one of the first things you said about it, it's like these people are rearranging their entire lives. You know, and and it's awesome that you recognize that because a lot, I, I don't think a lot of people put that, you know, into perspective, like sure. of, the whole, of the whole experience and the whole dynamic of everything that, that these people who aren't even in the band, who just want to be a part of and hang out and help and all this stuff are, are actually being very selfless to do yeah. something that they enjoy and they love and being around the people that they also respect and love as well. Yeah. And there was a level of appreciation that was different that you would see in other band members and other bands. And even in roadies, like people who kind of came on and worked for the band and did this as a job, there came, those people tend to get a little jaded or they sort of lose track of how wonderful this is because it becomes more like a job to them. And there's a level of expectation that they know they belong. They're a part of the machine where these people they're not gaining anything from it. We're not asking anything of them. It's just purely because something about the shows and the experience meant so much to them that they needed 
to be around for more than just the one in their town, you know? Yeah, man. See them stay sort of excited and wide-eyed by it was always really good for me personally. Sure. It wasn't something they were losing track of how special this all is. Yeah. And sort of on the road and on the move. Oh, my God. Yeah, and it's just, and I mean, I'll say it right now. I mean, it should, it's, I'm 99% positive that the next episode is going to be with Dan and Rick, who did the documentary. Amazing. Yeah. Um, they actually hit me up and I'm like, of course, like, why wouldn't I, you know, that, I think that would be a really cool sealer to, sure. you know, put a cap on it. You know, it's like 10 episodes plus the beam. So it's technically like 11 episodes. Yeah. And, um, yeah, to, to, to talk about all of that. And they sent me a screener. I don't know how much that I can really talk about. I'm not going to really get really too much into it because I don't want to blow up anyone's spot. And I don't want to get anyone at Equal Vision pissed off or anything like that. Well, but um, This is some big, serious art piece that is under wraps and people can't talk about. It's so fucking absurd to me. It is so ridiculous, this level of like, there are lawyers involved. People are asking if footage to be removed. Like the dumbest, Fucking shit where they've just lost track of <laughs> documentary about a hardcore band. Like you can talk about it. I don't understand what all the fucking hoopla is about. Is I don't know. I don't know, man. How else do you feel? There's like a certain <laughs> amount of nobody has, nobody's been signed into a fucking NDA or anything. It's I know. Let a couple of friends shoot the last four and be there at the last show. We just sort of gave them access to being on stage with their fancy cameras. Anytime they wanted to be there, that was the extent of it. There is no under wraps. Go I know it's hysterical. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's like a certain mystique or some shit, man. I don't know. It's fucking perform. It's like created out of thin air, though. There's, you know, it's ridiculous. I know it is. It absolutely is. That's why I'm laughing because I, I agree a thousand percent. Oh my god. <laughs> But I would be interested in their perspective, and it's going to be cool to hear them talk because they really sort of their experience was very separate to my experience going through that tour before the tour started, and it was starting to become understood that okay, they're going to do this. They, you know, Dan, who's been a very close friend of the band for years, wants to make a doc, and he's actually a professional guy who knows his way around that stuff. And we thought, yeah, you know, we should let him do it. But I was a little worried that it was going to feel but I was going to feel like I was having to be performing all the time, even off of stage, you know, that there was going to be this feeling of like, oh, the stakes are high, he's shooting a doc. So I asked that they just sort of be like, not really seen, you know, like I don't want to have to be like taking three trips to the van to load stuff out because the first one, they didn't get the shot right. Like I just want right. to be very present. It was the last tour, you know? Yeah. And for me, it was either going to be super involved in the creative aspect of this or not involved at all. I couldn't kind of find some middle ground. And right. I just decided, man, I just want to be present. I want to be with the boys. I want to be there for these shows. So I said, yo, get on stage, shoot every night, but like, don't be fucking falling when it's around with a camera. I don't want to feel awkward on this last journey. And they completely respected that to the point where I would sometimes even forget that they were a part of this. That's a beautiful thing. That's yeah, good. Like we would be setting up to play and I'd be like, oh shit, there they are. And every few, I don't know, a week or so, maybe it was even every two weeks, they asked if we could do like a, a face-to-face interview outside of the venue to just get an update on where we were and how we were feeling. And that stuff was great. And, you know, I loved being able to do that for them. 
But yeah. for the most part, their experience, they were, ne- they were never like in the van with the camera going. They really did sort of stay out of sight. So I'll be thrilled to hear, you know, what their thoughts were regarding regarding all the emotions around the final tour for sure. Yeah, he 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 dropped box it to me and and I was like, holy shit, okay. And he's like, don't share it with nobody. Of course, I'm not gonna share it with them. I'm not gonna leak the documentary, you know. Um <laughs> me, don't put it in my hands, man. <laughs> no, it's it's I have it and no one's getting nothing. Um what you think? Did you enjoy it as just as a fan of the band? Did you I it? I watched it with complete silence around me and I put it on phone off and I watched it all in and A, it was incredible and B, there were certain things that I was unaware of that were amazing and just the whole vibe of, it was like a roller coaster. It was like a roller coaster because obviously doing all of these episodes with all of you guys and now coming off the heels of doing, you know, Stu and, and Pete and Nick and who were all in the documentary. And it's just, oh man, it was, I, th- I believe it was so well done. And it was, I thought it was a great, yes, it focuses on the final tour, but all of the other little things and all the old footage and the old yeah. flyers and, and all that old gritty, you know, footage and stuff. Like, I love that stuff. And I thought it was incredible. Um, I will watch it again, obviously. Um, when it actually gets released, I'll whatever bundles or whatever, I will definitely be getting <laughs> the actual physical, you know, thing, of course. Yeah but it was incredible. Um, it was well done. It was beautifully done. It does strike a good balance of sort of the history of the band, yes. who we are as people, and also the final tour. Yeah. And then the final show. That's a lot to juggle, and I think you did a pretty good job of it. I think so, too. I mean, for a, it's a little under two hours. I think it's like an hour and 50 minutes. Okay. And, yeah, man, it was. It, I felt like I watched it for like a half hour. It was oh, just, wow. yeah, it was great. It was fucking great. I was super excited to see, to see, I, cause I had no idea he was going to send me a screener, you know, but he would tell you, he's like, you know, if, if obviously if we're going to do this podcast, you, you should watch it so we can talk. Uh, it makes perfect sense. Cool. You know, makes That's perfect awesome. sense. That's yeah, awesome. it was great. Um, so now I know that you had asked me, well, you had told me we would go back and forth. You, know, you, you wanted, you had like questions to, about me, uh, questions to me about this whole experience with coming off of this whole Bane series. Yeah, man. I mean, uh, you have been just knee deep in it more than anyone. Knee deep. Forget it. Waist deep. Fucking going in, man. Waist deep. It's been incredible. I don't know if anyone has ever been so willing to put us under such a microscope for such an ambitious stretch you know of just it's like, fun oh, man it's not even it's like, it's fun but it's yeah, just it's about the experience for you oh it's it's been fucking awesome um you know i i do this at the end of the day for fun right. i don't make money i don't do nothing none of this for money at all i enjoy talking with people that i respect and like what they do no matter what it is like you know you know i've had you know I've said this a million times, you know, everyone from rappers to graffiti writers to guys in metal bands to, 
so mostly hardcore bands, you know, members of hardcore bands. And, and I just, whatever it might be, I don't, I don't, I try, I do basically what I want. You know what I mean? It's like, I'm not going to try to pigeonhole myself into one kind of podcast or anything like that. But, you know, I had the opportunity to actually sit and bullshit with you guys, which I never thought I would ever do. I was trying to chase down Zach for two years to try to do it face to face. But, you know, life and, 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 you know, geography get in the way. Okay. So once this whole pandemic thing hit, all right, great idea. So let's do it. Next thing you know, I'm 11 episodes deep talking Bane shit, man. Incredible. It's fucking awesome, you know? And, uh, you know, I learned, I learned about, you know, like you got, you know, I learned more about you guys and like, yeah, we bullshit, you know, off of this, you know, and it's fucking cool, man. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like another thing, like, I don't, like I said, like, forget the stupid money part of it. I, I don't, I don't do it for likes or things like that. But since I did this whole Bane thing, it's like my listenership has gone up. Like, oh, like people have found the podcast, which is cool. It's like, it's like, all right, great. Like there's like between like the mini episodes and everything else, there's like 200 friggin' files of, of things you can listen to. You know, there's got to be something you like, whether it's, you know, something. If not, then I guess this one ain't for you. But yeah, man, it, a lot of, and, and another thing I'll, I can't stress it enough is the first series, every single thing I have gotten, not, not one, which is, which is incredible, not one single negative anything. It's nothing but people coming out of the woodwork telling me i'll get messages in my instagram private messages paragraphs long about people telling me about their life story and how they broke down crying with a certain memory of whatever happened in their life when they read the lyrics to calling hours And these people are opening up to me because I did these things. And, and I'm just like, I'm kind of blown away in a, in an awesome way. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of blown away that it's like these people are so affected by the things that obviously that you guys did. And there's another outlet for them to speak about that with me. You know what I mean? Does that make any sense? I feel like I just stepped all over myself. Um, so yeah, there's there's been a lot of feedback, not necessarily publicly, but a lot of messages and private stuff, and 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 like I'll share like it, like when that one was all over, you know, I shared the, you know, I took, I googled and I found the the cover of the first demo tape, mm-hmm. yeah. and I took yeah I took it and I. I kind of, I, it was like a, it was like a picture. It was like a photograph of the tape and it was like on an angle. And I was like, all right. So I took it and I put it into Photoshop and I, I angled it and I fixed it all up and I made it all clean to, to do like that thing. And yep. I shared that and people were like responding like, holy shit. Like there is a God and all kinds of stuff. Like, yo, I'm telling you, man, it's been, it's been bananas. <laughs> One of my favorite things is the people who felt deeply connected to Bane were very sort of passionate, hard on their sleeve. Super passionate and super hard on their sleeve. You know, we're so lucky to have sort of 
made those people feel connected with our band. Maybe of all the things, that's my, that's the thing that I'm most proud of is that we, we rallied those kind of people. Together. You absolutely did. Absolutely. Yeah. Because I, I, I'm, I'm learning about all this. I mean, I had an idea, but that's just the whatever figment in my head. But all the stuff that's coming through, it's just like, Wow, man. And like, so keep, the way that there hasn't been any level of shit talk or negativity in your comments because it's such a zero. It's mind blowing to hear that. It makes me so happy because you like the idea of something like this being about connection and that, yes, people who are watching this feel connected to myself, feel connected to you, realize how easy it is to reach out and to, you know, exchange ideas with us. Yeah. I lo- you know, I love that about this sort of social media, but. There's yeah. so much poison to it. There's so much negativity. Oh, I'm really glad so you haven't had to deal with any of that. None of that. And that's what sticks out in my head the most on this on this quote-unquote social media yeah. portion of it, of the people typing. You know what I mean? It's because you know how it is. People sort of knee-jerk reactionary and they just blah, blah, blah. And But there's not been, there's nothing but like heart emojis and friggin' love for it all. Like, consistently it makes me very happy to hear i'm so glad to hear that. i'm glad that i'm actually able to tell you that man yeah, yeah. i'm a dude who just like expects the worst you know i just like get ready for the shelling yeah know? yeah me too i probably yeah. stay off of there i don't spend a lot of time engaging in that sort of communication i don't read what people's opinions are in comment section because it is so upsetting to me largely there seems to be sort of a culture of non-communication as opposed to a real culture of listening and exchanging of ideas. Yeah. Oh, it's, it, it's way a little bit more every year. There are times where I just think I just want to burn it all and get rid of all of those stupid things, but me too. it feels like letting them win. So I kind of like hold on stubbornly, but same here. It's like, there's so many times I just want to just write that not even write, Oh, I'm about to delete. No, just go off, especially Facebook. Facebook is just the worst. It's the worst, but it's a really good promotional tool. So that's all I do on there. You know what I mean? I very rarely, I don't go back if I don't argue with people about their stance on certain, I, I just don't because no matter which way you go, even if you're agreeing with someone, someone will chime in and the next thing you know, it just never stops. And I have no time for that shit. I know. There's been a few times in the last few years where I was unable to hold my tongue about when it happens. It actually happens. And I post something and post, you know, very sort of opinionated little rant. And then I have to spend the next two days like arguing with people who I don't know. And morning stress to check my Instagram because I have to continue to try to justify these thoughts. And I'm just like, why do I fucking do it? Keep your mouth shut. Who cares? Yeah. And it, you don't have to justify anything to anybody anyway, especially strangers. It's like, it's crazy, man. It's fucking bad shit. But yeah, man, everything so far has been nothing but positive stuff, and it's a beautiful thing. That really is beautiful. Thing. Good to hear. I've even, I've even posted that before. I, I've, I've even said it. I was like, I've never done like a series. I've had different people from different, you know, different people from the same band, but I broke it up. You know what I mean? But I never did like a, like a series. And it was like the most, I mean, I enjoy doing this all the time, but this was, if I had to, you know, say it was like my, the string of episodes that were like the most fun to do because 
it was just all cool. And, and just the, the outpouring of people just thanking me and being grateful that I actually brought them you and your stew and, you know, and all, everybody to, to listen to. It's like, it's kind of weird to, it's awesome, but like, yeah, no problem, man. Like, I enjoy it just as much as you do. So I'm well, you deserve some praise for it. I mean, you were a part of it, and there's not a lot of people that would take something like this on. I mean, you do deserve a pat on the yeah. back. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I guess, but I don't know. A wildly, a wildly ambitious thing you're you're pulling off. Nah, I don't know. Well, if it wasn't for social media, it wouldn't happen. So for I don't sure. know. No, for sure. See the pros and the cons right there in a nutshell. You know. So now. How how did you feel? Because we were all watching live the uh, the live stream of the final set. Yeah, you know, and uh, that was an experience for sure. Um, yeah. I remember like it was yesterday, but it's crazy that it's been over four years now. Um, I know. What were your thoughts going into it, and how'd you come out of that, man? I can talk about that. I guess. Uh I would hope so. I'm not a person who spends a lot of time looking back at old footage and videos. And sometimes I even nervously like scroll past Bane photos because I'm just sort of a little bit insecure and just not really. Yeah, I don't know. I get, I don't, I feel like shy and embarrassed isn't the right word. I feel like there's something else there where I just sort of want to crawl inside myself a little bit when the spotlight is, you know, on me in a way where I feel like I'm sort of out of control of that. Right. Meaning that in Bain, when I had a microphone in my hands and I knew that this is the purpose of all this, I felt very comfortable and didn't feel shy at all. Obviously I would talk on stage fucking forever, right. but that was a arena where I felt like I understood the rules and the parameters. And sometimes when I have to deal with that stuff out on my own, it's a little bit harder. It's a little bit harder for me. I don't really like look back and, celebrate old videos i never feel like they look quite the same way that they were in the moment and yeah it's just like not not me i don't feel and also i can really be brutalized if i read terrible comments or hateful things that people can tend to say so um yeah i was a little nervous leading up to it like you know it's not my favorite thing and that was a, a wild day for me that i almost couldn't quite remember how it all went down and i had some regrets i remembered at the end of the the show, I, you know, like the next day, maybe two days later, it started hitting me, people that I didn't thank on stage. I didn't like mention our booking agent. You know, I was just so caught up in my own bullshit that a lot of things went unsaid and I felt very regretful of that. And those sort of negatives, they tend to really build in my head. They feed off each other, they get way out of control. It's just like real personal demon type stuff of always being a little haunted that I didn't do as well as I should have done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so I, I, was nervous. I think that they, understand that yeah no i mean a lot of this is self-inflicted for sure a lot of this like no you know all of the you did greats in the world just sometimes can't quite penetrate what's going on inside of me i understand so i was nervous and i have a sort of fight or flight mechanism that kicks in in these moments where i think oh maybe i don't have to be a part of it maybe you know i don't want to watch that maybe they'll be fine without me at first i wasn't even sure if the thing that sunny was trying to coordinate was going to be on streaming video, you know, I wasn't sure if it was going to be all of our faces and that sounded horrifying to me. And I just wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't not looking forward to it, right. but you know, part of me knew that I should, you know, I should be there just fucking sack up 
you got to be a part of this. You got to watch this. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing that Sonny's done, raising this incredible amount of money for Stu. And then I heard that Stu was going to be in, in the chat answering questions. And it's just, as of that morning, it was official that, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, mostly it was incredible. You were there, just the outpouring, the things that people were saying. I think I cried two times just based on things that people were saying in the chat when we were playing swan song and everybody was just typing i will come back for you or i will come back for you yes. on and on like i fucking lost it that's so incredible that yeah those words yeah, i was reading that too i believe i was one of them also there was like a thousand of them it was incredible but it was it's tough i mean i talk a lot that day i mean i am just really full of myself and going on and on and on you can see that i'm like shaky my voice doesn't quite sound right i'm like white knuckling it through this thing yeah watching it i i wondered if maybe a part of me felt like if you don't stop talking then this doesn't have to end you know like i'm just going on and on and that's stuff listen to yourself just sort of be in the center of the spotlight and drone on and on about things that you're not actually all that sure are very interesting People have told me that it was fine and that they liked what I have to say. And it yeah, it was fine. You were great. I tend to be, you know, kind of a brutal critic of myself. And I'm like, Jesus, dude, if you had just shut up, the show is an hour and 20 minutes long. You know, what are you doing? Right. But overall, <laughs> my experience was certainly positive. I felt the, the love and the warmth from so many of the kids that came out and watched that. You know, yeah. more money was raised, that we sold some prints for Stu and all the good that came of that completely trumps any of the sort of insecurities or personal stuff that I have to wrestle with all the time. For the yeah. most part, it was great. I was glad when it was over and it felt like, okay, you know, the podcasts, the first round of podcasts, were, I was, mine had already taken place. I'd already made the post about trying to raise m money for Stu. And then we had the last show and it felt like, okay, maybe things can sort of die down again. And uh, Which is where I, it's where I feel the most comfortable when it's not all just sort of about Bane, 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 because I fucking missed it. And every, every little thing about it kind of makes me sad. And yeah. Everything about it isn't. Yeah. It's not, and, and, but, well, now, now you're coming off of, well, you, when you hear this one, when it, when it drops, you're coming off of another four weeks of Bane stuff. I know. I know. Well, I when I saw you do it, I was like, are you serious? But, <laughs> well, like, if you're going to talk to Stu, you're going to talk to Nick, literally one of the funniest human beings I've ever met in my life. Like, uh -huh. I can't, I can't be mad at that, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. We, uh, Stu was, oof, man. Yeah, he's dead, man. He's dead. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a good well. One. He's on vacation right now with the wife and kids out on Cape. Looks nice. good. He's good. Well. Last good. I heard, excuse me, his numbers are good. So good, thank God. Yeah, it's really good that you got to meet him because he's really a great guy. Oh man, we were just chopping it up, and his his energy and his and I think it was like a, the the day after or two days after we did it, like he was going in for another round of chemo. So mm -hmm. I caught him at like the right time. All of this has been taking place at like perfect timing. Which is very odd. All of, everything that I've done with all of you guys has been perfect timing. It's just falling into place like it's meant to be some shit. I don't know. Right, right. right. Yeah. So now I think before the chemo. 
Yeah. So now after after that final show ended, did it give you the itch, man? Because I know you want to go fucking play Bane shows again. Okay. Yeah, I mean, the itch is always there. The itch never left. Just, uh, we, we got into it last time. I mean, nothing moved as far as the, what's going on in the real world with it. But yeah, I think, you know, I think all of us listening to each other's podcast, the first version just sort of brought some different things to light. And, uh, but it's just, you know, it's difficult to even look at it now because things are so uncertain and it just feels like a weird time to make any sort of actual plans. And oh, sure. When the option to really do anything like that. You know? Yeah. I don't even know if I would feel safe getting into a room with those five guys to do a practice at this point. Things okay. are so strange right now. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the itch is always there. I mean, when to see those songs and to see the response it brought out in people and the energy, you know, I miss that. I, I fucking, that's still very much in my blood. Yeah. That'll so, never leave so your blood, man. Never. For sure. Uh, it is a fucked up time, man. I mean, it's, we can't even really have a discussion about it. Like, I know. It's like, yeah, everything is so uncertain. It's like, uh, well, maybe. Everything is a maybe. Yeah. Like, we don't even know if in one year that they'll, they'll be letting kids into venues again to stage dive and fucking try right. out with each other. We really don't know. Things are, yeah. are still nuts. That it keeps me from going too deep into that hole of should we, how do we do it? Should I try to further this conversation? It's just like, Let's just wait and see. Right. Like we just, we're all sort of trapped in this right now. Everybody. It's crazy. Like my, 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 my girl, she, she works, she's a, she's a trainer. She's like a group exercise trainer and like she's in gyms all the time. And they just, they just said that, I mean, this, this place is open, like restaurants are opening up and stuff like that. But they just said that gyms, all gyms, they close until like next year. It's weird that I, there's no gyms done but so many other places are open it's like yeah. why gyms it's just very strange and yes it's like like another year they're not going to be open and it's that's a gym go to movies for another year and eat a large popcorn just makes me want to fucking scream before i consider the casino and play poker it makes me want to fucking scream yeah i'm sure man it's fucking crazy, yeah, man. So, but yeah, the itch was there. Obviously, I mean, anytime, anytime I look at an old Bane shot or see something, it's yeah. the best. I loved it more than I loved anything else that continues to this day. That those were the the best moments of my life. Yep. So to have those behind you is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard to sort of face that and live with that. Yeah. When you have all these voices saying, "Oh, come back. We need you back. What are you doing? Come back. Come back." You're damn right. You hear me. There's a lot of it. I, I mean, I know, and it just gets hard to be like, dude, we said, you know, we made a promise. We said some things. We fucking created this whole air of finality around things. What are you talking about? Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I feel like, I feel like I have a better understanding of where everyone's head is at just based on the answers they gave to you when you asked them. Yeah. Questions. We'll see. Yeah. I, th I think, I think the only one, and I'll say it because everyone heard it too, but I think, I think Zach is the hardest nut to crack. He was the hard nut. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. We were at a cookout at Stu's a couple weeks ago and I, I heard about, I heard about, I heard about this cookout, but go ahead. <laughs> I made some comment. I don't know. Sometimes I just like to just slide it out there. Like, 
oh, remember when we did this, how sick that was? I like to talk about the far-flung places we went, the incredible sort of far, far from home experiences and sort of romanticize about that stuff for a while. I can't even remember what it was. <laughs> I'm pretty good at bringing up, you know, you, you know, remember the time we went and saw the giant scooter in Japan or when we fucking drove eight hours through Russia and ended up playing with Torch at some little venue in fucking middle of Russia. Crazy. Zach, Zach, very matter-of-factly said, yeah, man, I, he said, I missed that shit. But I'd get back together to do stuff like that again. And it was like, wow. Make any sort of a mention like that. I hope I'm not fucking blowing up this spot right now. We may want to wring my neck, but I was. Julie! <laughs> wow, I have not heard that from him. But I, I know he misses it. I know that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I do too. Time machine, if we could all get into a time machine that said, hey, we're going to bring you back to 2012 and you're going to get to go all, on all those tours again. I don't think a single person says no. The band didn't end because people were unhappy or you know, you know, we weren't getting along. Right. That was not a part of it. So yeah. Yeah. I and then, know he misses it. I just know that he. he oh yeah, I was I was holding on to little things as well. Like I'm everybody who I'm talking to and everyone's answer. When Zach was talking, I was like, oh, man, it's like this is the first one in the first series, and Zach is, like, putting the kibosh on it. But then he also said, he was like, you never know, though, in two years I could be biting myself and kicking myself in the ass. And that's the only thing I heard after that. I'm like, damn right. Yeah, trust me, I heard it, too. Nice. (laughs) Yep, that's the only thing I heard after that. I'm like, everything you said before that, I don't even, it doesn't count. Right. Awesome. I mean, it's just this such a ridiculous time. It's just hard to really, yeah, to have a conversation about it. But of course, we're gonna see. I mean, I it, it, things feel different now than they have at any time since we broke up. As far as it sort of being out there, that wow, some of us really, really deep connected. You know? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I know. <laughs> a couple people said I won't. I won't blow it up here. But a couple people privately when I was done with their episodes in the first series, hit me up privately and was like, dude, like, I didn't want to sound like, like I was like desperate or anything, but I would absolutely love to do something again. Yeah. It, it wasn't Zach. It wasn't Zach. No, of course not. I think I know who it was. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, and I was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, this is fucking great. Yeah. There's a funny loophole that we have that we joke around about these days. I don't know if you've ever heard. Did anyone ever tell you the story about Dane? D-A-N-E, you ever hear that story? I heard of it, but there's people that probably have not. And I seen that someone actually has a Dane tattoo that I saw like on Instagram or something like that. Whoa, I know there's some Dane t-shirts and somebody made me a a deck of Dane cards, but yeah. There's a, I believe it's a girl. I'll find it and I'll send you the screenshot. I think it's on the Bane merch or it could be the Bane Central Instagram page where it's on the side, like the inner portion of like a girl's ankle and it says Dane and like the date of that show. It's a tattoo. <laughs> it was a day where we were misbilled. And we always sort of looked at it like, yeah, maybe Bane's broken up, but no one said Dane can't get back together. <laughs> That's right. Where was that? You played, it was like some, where was that? 
It was in Louisville, Kentucky. It was at Crazy Fest. Um, yeah, we were playing the fest and some other bands. I, I feel bad naming, the, naming them by name. Okay. They came to the merch table, friends of ours, and were like, hey, there's this whole strip on the other side of town that is just seedy little strip bar, dive bars. We're going to go to every one of them and see if they won't hold an after party. Are you guys in? And we were like, fuck yeah, Chad. We'll do Yes, we are in. We are 100% in. I didn't really think much was going to come of it. Zach told me earlier in the day that he had agreed to do this and to sort of keep our ears on the ground. We played our set. There were other bands that I wanted to see. Um, I think the night ended with Hot Water Music. And somebody comes to me and is like, hey, the show is on. We got to get to this to this bar. And so I sort of start doubling it back to the merch table. And there are people who are just blazed, like people are just blazing by me to get to their cars and also to drive over there. Like the word has already spread. I actually believe that a flyer was made. Like once it was confirmed where we were playing and that we had this lineup, I think a flyer was made and passed around because before I even got to the van, I knew that like, whoa, this is going to be crazy. So we drive over there. It's exactly as reported, this big strip of just little shack fucking dive strip bars, and the street is mobbed. It's absolutely insane. There are tow trucks towing cars from other parking lots. It's fucking crazy. <laughs> I go to get into a side door, and there's like the little, little stand marquee outside, and it said, appearing tonight, Dane, which I D- thought was hysterical. D-A-N-E. A-N-E. <laughs> I, I go to open a side door and it is so packed in there. I open the door and I'm just hit with a wall of people's backs. Like no show is going on. Everyone in there is literally chanting Dane. And we just slide in and we're like, what? I mean, the place could hold, I feel like maybe it could held 150 and there was 300 in there. It was crazy. Three bands played. I think we played, you know, three or four songs each. People were diving off of the bar. There were strippers on the stage while we played. It was just like one of those sort of magical, unexpected nights. Yeah. A, a party. Yeah. And somehow the Dane thing, just like it stuck with us and it was always sort of funny. Yeah. Well, you Dane can absolutely get back together. Yeah, that's been the joke. Zach likes to say, if we're going to do it, we have to go back to fucking Louisville and <laughs> we have to play a strip club only, which seems absurd, but... I hold on entertaining. to this. <laughs> we just call someone and be like, hey, you want to book book Dane for a night? You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I I'll definitely I, there's a there's a tattoo. I'll show you. Somebody got a tattoo of the Dane logo. I have a deck of cards. There was a photo that went around of that marquee and a very close friend of mine made it into a deck of playing cards. That's awesome, especially for you, the poker guy. That's yeah, great. Really, really cool. That was a great night. And we still joke about it to this day, like Dane didn't break up. But that's fucking great, man. Yeah. So so Zach actually said that. I like to hear yeah, that he said that. that. I mean, you know, we were just in the moment just talking about the incredible tour experiences. When you get us in a room together, we that stuff comes right to the surface and we start. I'm sure, about I'm sure how could it not? It's the elephant in the room, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. How could it not? Yeah, exactly. And he said it. I'm gonna tell him he fucking said it. That's right. Good. Fucking hold you to that shit, Zach. <laughs> and Pete, you you interviewed Pete, right? Yeah. Pete's the best. Pete's, Pete's a great guy. guy. 
that he would come and come with the van and pick us all up. We wouldn't play shows, but we would do all the things on tour that you do except for play shows and things that we loved as simple as like go to Taco Bell, go to the movies, all pile into the same hotel room and stay up till two in the morning. Like we thrived on all of that shit, free buffets in the morning. That was like our favorite thing. Of course. And Pete, I think he's a little tired of hearing us whine about how much we miss all of that and miss the road. <laughs> like, I'll come get you. I'll come get every one of you and we'll go do that stuff. We'll go on a week-long tour of hotels and buffets and movie theaters, going to the mall. That would be great, dude. See, that, that's, that's, man, uh, you got to do that. Pete's got to come and pick you up and do that. <laughs> He's got to do that shit. Oh, man. Well, like myself and a lot of people who listen and a lot of people who are unaware of the podcast, I'm sure, they all, uh, they'd like to see you. Yeah. No, yeah. I understand that. And that's a very, very flattering thing. And it's not lost on me. It's not a pain in the ass to hear it over and over and over again. Right. I'm lucky to be insulated in the time of a virus where it's just like, I don't know what to tell you, dude. I don't even know when anyone's going to play a show. Never mind Bane. I mean, right. I feel terrible for the young sort of frontline bands, like One Step Closer and Restraining Order and bands that like were just going to pop this summer, yeah. you know, that were had real momentum, had put out records, and were about to have the fucking summer in the year of their lives. And yeah, enjoy it on a level that like is so foreign to me. And uh, yeah, it breaks my heart for them more than anything. I think of those young hardcore bands and just like that. Yeah. Like that band Mind Force, you have to Mind Force. Like, such a good man. band. Fucking such think a good about band. That, to come on, the, come on the other end of the injury, the car crash, finally start playing shows. I was there for their first LA set at Sound and Fury last summer, and it was bonkers. Yeah. I mean, that band had arrived as like, we can headline any hardcore fest. We have this entire room in the palm of our fucking hands. And then they went and put out a new EP that fucking rages. Yeah. Followed up the LP with the new Chopping Heads thing. And it is so incredible. Yeah, man. Like that band, you know, those are like family guys. They weren't going to go hard, hard, hard. Right. This should have been an incredible sort of rebound year for them. On the heels of that terrible accident that robbed them of like, how much kids love that LP. Yep. Yeah, man. They're not going anywhere, though. Those guys are survivors, man. They'll yeah. be there. When this is yeah. over, they're going to fucking be there. Right. So I hopefully... Have you interviewed uh-huh. Jay? Is there a Jay podcast? Have you sat down with him? With who? Jay, the singer, Jay. No. I have not. Illest dude. Such a good dude, man. Yeah? Oh, my God. I'll have to hit him up. I'll see if he's down. I think you should. That was my I'll, I'll I'll bullshit with almost anybody, man. He's great. Yeah. So what have you been watching lately? Let's 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 bullshit about a little cinema. <laughs> well, this is gonna be tough to tell you this right now, Jimmy. But today I watched Escape from Alcatraz. Okay. It was not for me at all. Really? Yeah, man. Those are not my kinds of movies. It's well, it's based on a true story. Yeah. Well. I, I mean, I suppose that's very easy to say, but that was the most ridiculous looking prison experience that I've ever, ever seen. And like, I get that it was the 70s and I kept telling myself, I'll bet Jimmy watched this as a kid and like- Oh, absolutely. That's nostalgic for me. Similar to like mine with Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, of course. You know, that insulting that movie is unforgivable to me because of my rich history going on the way back. 
Right. And Clint, man, I'm just not a fan. I just don't like the way so many of his things in that era were all sort of set up for him to either say or do something cool. Like it's all right. like Clint, you know, just getting the last word or the last punch in. And those sort of movies, <laughs> yeah. they don't do it for him. No? <laughs> all right. But Listen, you're, you're allowed. I'm not saying that it's, it's not one of my favorite, favorite movies. We were going back and forth. I was like, you know what? Escape from Alcatraz seems like maybe it would be a good movie that he would like. I enjoy it for the nostalgic purposes because I was a kid and it was, seemed like it was on all the time. I had the VHS tape. So I yeah. seen it a million times. And that's like one of those yeah, movies. That was the story behind it, that this is like a boyhood. Yeah, even if, like, if it's on like right now, like I'll put it on. If it's on, like I'll leave it on because it's just one yeah. of those movies for me. Well, here's the thing. I feel like I should pre- preface all this cinema stuff with really warning you that like I am very opinionated, widely. Okay, it's yeah, fine. <laughs> a fucking snob. Like I was nervous today because I was like, I don't want to come off. We're just going to talk movies, man. I don't want to come off like a sub. And I feel like a lot of the stuff that is a big deal to me, you may not have seen or heard of. And I don't want to even really get into that kind of stuff. Oh, I don't care. Dude, I'm, I'm easy, bro. You want to be a movie snob? That's fine. I'm good with that. It can be a little gross. Like my friends who know me and love me for it, that's one thing. But I was like, No, that's hey. fine. Dude, I, 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 I'm a fan of, like, I'll watch some ridiculous nonsense where there's no thought involved. And then... I'll take your recommendation, which I don't know why, for whatever reason, I've never seen it, but I have now, but I've never seen Miller's Crossing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know why. And I'm like, okay, it's about, all right, I'm going to rent this on, I don't know, Amazon Prime or whatever it was. I'm like, all right, so shut everything down and put it on. And as soon as that whole opening scene, I'm like, okay. it's like it's like all right this is not what i expected but i'm all in i'm all in very open-minded i'm all in mute my phone except for when i hit you up saying that so-and-so just went go buck wild with the fucking shots oh my god but i i i i just focused and listened and it's a movie i'm gonna say it's not a movie for everybody no 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 way it's also, it's not a movie that you get after only one viewing. It is so complex. There are so many threads that just don't yes. reveal themselves under one viewing. Right. Well, I watched it once, and I feel like I got a good grasp because I was so in. I was focused in on it, and I do have an attention span. A lot of people don't have an attention span. But I, there's nothing... It's one of my favorite things to do is to shut everything down and just tune out of everything and put myself inside the TV. Yeah. You know what I mean? And like I said, like I'll watch a ridiculous 1982 stupid Jason slasher movie and love it to death. And then I'll sit and I'll watch something like Miller's Crossing, which is a movie it's it's for a it's more it's more for for like a film person like it's it's not an easy watch you have to pay attention there's a lot going on i got thrown a couple of times here and there but the performances the script is bonkers the maybe it's the like it's like a movie guys movie yeah that's all it's, i watch yeah it's incredible it's incredible and there was just certain things that were said 
Like uh, that, I was like, like, like that's brilliant. It's like I actually wrote one down okay. because I was like, because Gabrielle Byrne, um, Tom, Tom Reagan was his name in it. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, right? yeah. he's talking with the the the, the psycho hitman guy, mm-hmm. and he wants to go and do this, that, and the third, and he's really getting ahead of himself. He's getting ahead of himself. And and the, the hitman guy goes, not so fast, Kaputnik. And I'm just like, hold on, why does Kaputnik sound so familiar? And it's and it's a fucking like a Russian, uh, it's like a Russian craft that was, it was like it, it like it was made or something. It was it was launched prematurely and just fucking exploded. So like what he was talking about could very well get him killed like this if you don't back up and do your fucking homework and watch your mouth. So it's, that wasn't why I watched Subkaputnik. Like, just the way the whole scene was, I was like, that's fucking brilliant right there. And a lot of people probably wouldn't get that. For sure. There's a, you know there's a whole language for that movie. They're using so many cool words. What's the rumpus? And do you want me The to rumpus? Yeah, I was like, what's the rumpus? I was like, I haven't heard that fantastic stuff they just created a language to mirror sort of those old film noirs those 30s crime movies and they fucking nailed it yeah man really like one of my absolute all-time favorites i can't say it's my favorite gangster movie because of how epic and perfect i consider goodfellas to be 100 we are 100 in agreement. yeah that movie is a perfect movie it's perfect it's really? absolutely perfect. That's not a word that I throw around. I no, me neither. With, with Goodfellas that like, I saw the trailer on the big screen, like a big long trailer where they played the Layla ending, this like, you know, the end of the Eric Clapton song where it's sure. like, this, you know, peace. And it's like this beautiful heart-wrenching song, but the imagery is all so violent and so harsh. And you just knew that this was the movie that Scorsese had been waiting to make like mean streets yeah toes in the underworld there's some gangsters there raging bull again brush shoulders with some gangsters but right. like finally he was going to just beginning to end having yeah. hang with these people and you knew it was in the best hands imaginable it was going to feel more modern than the godfather movies i was i can't imagine there's ever been a time in my life where i was more excited for a movie then whatever yeah. the week was between seeing that trailer and being there opening night, I remember the day, I remember what side of the movie I sat on, and it was just like, few things yeah. live up to their expectations in this life when your expectations are high, and yes. this movie exceeded it. I probably saw it five times in two weeks. It was just, you know. Really? Finally, there was, there was the movie that told you what the mafia looked like and talked like and sounded like. Yeah. He had only given me hints previous to that right and all the other movies were like not very good you know there were you know there's some gangsters like the untouchables is fine some of them right were fine but this was like handheld camera in there in the back rooms yeah. with these guys and it's the best actors known to mankind yeah it's like, what? that whole that whole one take through the whole entire kitchen of the copacabana all the way to the front yeah. until they take the lamp and the and the, and the table and put it right in the front where, where Henny Youngman is playing. Like, that, that whole, it's all one take. That one long shot, it's crazy. I know. I love that shit too, man. I get yeah. into all that little nerdy 
behind the scenes little trivia shit like that. That's incredible. Man. And that line is just that, that that movie is just classic quotable line after quotable line. The whole movie is just classic shit. But it's also deeply emotional and sad, and all the characters end up having to go through these trials and just not actual trials, but trials of morality, trials of conscience, sure. loyalty. And that's just, I mean, that's just the stuff that has always spoken to me when the characters don't have it as easy as like Clint Eastwood did today, where he always gets the last word, but that life is hard and life is difficult and you're faced with, you know, horrific moral moments, I guess. Yeah. He just, you know, I mean, Scorsese's always going to nail that. He's a soul searcher. He's a man who asks the big questions. Yeah. He fucking pulled it off, man. He just he pulled off. He absolutely did. Thanks to me. How did you feel about The Irishman? I loved it. I did you? Loved it. Oh, I feel like it was the perfect companion piece. And that if I had seen The Irishman at the age that I saw Goodfellas, I don't know if it would have resonated as deeply with me. But now, being a bit older, a bit wiser, and where so much of The Irishman is about looking back, assessing the decisions you made, how they led you to where you where they've led you. It just was like, oh, this is the moment. This is the movie for right now. And again, it's like violent and it's well written. And yeah. yeah, I thought it was the best movie that I saw last year. And I mean, what the fuck, man? I, I'm trying to think. Maybe you go have to go back to No Country for Old Men for to be a movie that I enjoyed Ooh. as much as The Irishman. Oh my God, what a great movie! Great movie, one of my favorites for sure. But I think maybe The Irishman is even better because it's so fucking sad and it's it's so ambitious what Marty tried to take on here. Yeah. Tell the story of these gangsters and to have it end so tragic that there yeah. is no winning, there is no, it only is going to end in death or utter heartbreak and all this stuff that, those are like my favorite themes. You know, I grew yeah. up loving Woody Allen movies as like a 16 year old, I was watching Hannah and her sisters and the movies where he's like searching for the answers, searching for some greater truth. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I thought Woody, I mean, I thought Marty, Martin Scorsese fucking nailed it. With the nailed huh. it. I watched it repeatedly. I saw it on a Friday opening night with the whole crew of homies. And then that Monday I rode my bike in the rain, in the pouring rain huh. to go catch the matinee. Wow. Okay. When I love a movie, I want to see it over and over. That's my thing. Okay. Hey, listen, I, there's nothing wrong with that, man. Do what you enjoy to do. Who cares? It's awesome. It's, it's funny. I'm, all, I'm always fascinated with the people that are like, I've seen that already. I want to see something else. And I respect that. Right. I think it's interesting that there are people that have that opinion. They just want to see something once. Right. And then move on. I want to see the things that I consider to be great over and over and over. Right. Oh, there's so, there's so many movies that I've seen I don't know, Jesus Christ! Like, I mean, yeah. like Scarface. How many times I've seen that movie? I know the dialogue verbatim. Every I could recite that whole every little nuance. I know that movie like the back of my hand. That's you one. That Good fellas, blindfolded and be able to see every scene just based on the sound and the dialogue. One hundred percent. Everyone's face. I have a few Scarface is certainly one of them. But. Oh my God. It's another, it's a classic movie. It's, I love that movie. Also, quotable lines throughout the whole thing, whether it's ridiculous or foul or whatever, but just classic movie. 
Great. You know, here's another movie. Like I, I'm gonna say, gun to my head. If I had to pick, like my all-time favorite movie, it's a little people would kind of because everyone knows me for like because I do like these mini episodes with, like at, at horror conventions with like yeah. B horror movie actors, like like some girl who got killed within like 20 minutes of a Friday the 13th, you know, in 1985. I'll do like a little episode with, you know what I mean? But so a lot of people like think that I just like watch like horror movies and shit, but I'm going to say like probably my favorite movie probably of all time is not even close to a horror movie, but some horrific shit happens is Boogie Nights. Yeah. One of my favorite movies too. Oh, just a, br- and, and what's crazy. I'm not even a Mark Wahlberg fan really at, really at all, but, and I'm not even really like a Burt Reynolds fan. And, but that movie is just, Fucking incredible! I love Luis Guzman, though. He's in that. It doesn't matter who's. If, if you're in a movie where the script is that good and it looks that good, and the director has that strong of a vision, yeah, if, if you can read the fucking lines, which Burt Reynolds and Wahlberg certainly can. It yeah. doesn't matter how how you feel about them. The world created there is so sharp, it's yeah. so well done that. Yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, I'm not a Wahlberg fan either, but I consider that to be. I consider that to be a um, a reference point to Goodfellas and how much energy oh, it had, sure. you know, and how it's, it shows the span of generations and there's all of the stuff I was talking about, tragedy and heartbreak and regret. Oh, I mean, God. That's very much of a Goodfellas where he took on, obviously, a completely different world, but gives it that same... Oh, man, there's certain parts in that movie where you just feel like, yo, like... And like towards like the last, it's like the last like 15, 20 minutes droning on in the background is just this, this impending doom sounds. It's just boom, boom. And it's just for like 15 minutes and it just makes you feel fucked up. You know? When I think of that movie, man. I think of the very last few minutes when we're kind of like in the good times and things have settled down. Everyone's back in their place and you're following Bert through the house and you see the painting of the guy who shot himself on, on the wall where he shot himself. They just sort of casually scroll by that. That's yeah. the image that like stays in my head. Yes. Like more so than the firecracker scene or some of the like bigger, more exciting stuff is he just handled the subtle slight stuff. So fucking Yeah. Loud. And that, yeah, that's another thing. It's like a movie like the shining. Yeah. I, there's so much because Kubrick is an insane genius and there's certain things in that movie that like I was watching it with my daughter like my daughter loves that movie my daughter's met the the two little Grady twins before she no met little, yeah she met little Danny the, the kid on the big wheel you know she wants to meet Jack Nicholson you know it's funny but like I'll sit there and I'll watch it with her and I'll, I'll like point out things to her, like, all right, like, check this out. Like, there's a scene, it's a very famous scene where Jack is typing and she walks in and he's like, you know, whenever you hear me, whenever you hear me, and he's, and he's like, whenever you hear me typing, that means I'm working, that means to stay out, right? And he, does, he starts barking on her. Yeah, yeah, whenever you hear this, it's fucking brilliant. I love it. He's such a maniac. And and she's standing there, but she's standing in the middle of the room, and there's nothing behind her. But the camera pans right on her face, 
And it's symbolism. It's right behind her head. There's a white strip. And right on each side are two black strips. But she's standing in the middle of the room. And it's just to basically say that she's the light and she's surrounded by a whole bunch of darkness and evil. It's the same thing like in the bathroom where Delbert Grady, the father of the two little girls, is in the bathroom and he's talking to, you know, Jack is talking to him and he's standing there and he has uh, a dark spot and then two red spots. So it's like he's dark and and he's surrounded by all this murder and blood. But he's just standing in the bathroom. But it's just the way the camera is. And it's just these little things like that that I love. And I pick up on, like, that's brilliant shit. It's all subconscious shit. And I love that. That all the little details. He was one of the greats. I haven't studied The Shining or Clockwork Orange the way that I have Full Metal Jacket, which is my preferred Kubrick movie. But it offers all those same just mind-blowing moments of tiny details and trusting in you to come up with your own interpretations of yeah. what he's trying to say there. I just think that movie is so fucking good. Yeah. Yeah. It's now, if, hey, here's a recommendation. Some of it goes a little bit wonky, but it's called, it's a documentary. It's called Room 237. Okay. And it's basically, um, they break down The Shining with all their symbolism and yeah, it, it, there's little things like like what Kubrick, because Kubrick and Stephen King were at odds about, you know, how you're going to make my, you know, how you're going to interpret my book onto the film. And they were at odds bad. So Kubrick is basically like a fuck you. In the book, there's a, they're driving in a red Volkswagen in the book, but in the movie, it's a yellow Volkswagen. And later on in the movie, they're driving and there's an accident. And in the accident, there's a red Volkswagen smashed by like an 18 wheeler. And it's just kind of like a subtle fuck you to Stephen King. I'm making this my way. I destroyed your color car from your book. Like those little things. I love that. Cause it's like, there's a story outside the movie. Why he did that. You know what I mean? There's a great doc on Netflix about the guy who was like Kubrick's lifelong assistant. Have you ever heard of that? A young dude. I can't remember what his original career was, but Stanley needed him to like come on board and really be my fucking right hand for one of his early films. Okay. The guy realized that I am in the presence of such greatness now that I am going to derail the rest of my life to be whatever this madman needs, because I need to be amongst something this great. Right. It's a story of this other man who took it upon himself to just be what Stanley needed him to be at all times. And I guess Kubrick was impossible to work oh. with. Oh. And this Dude. guy did not mind. He was just, he needed to be with somebody that he knew was going to be great a thousand years from now. Right. Was it, was it called, I mean, because I, I don't know if you've seen it or if this is the same thing you're talking about. There's a documentary. You can find it on YouTube. For a long time, it was obscure. You couldn't find it. But now it's on YouTube. And it's not even very long. It's maybe, maybe a half hour. And it's a documentary. And it's called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. Okay? No. Okay. I'm going to try this one. This one is called, let me just one second. I'm going to tell I think I think I watched it on Netflix, Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, 
called Film Worker from 2017. Film Worker, one word. Okay, I'm going to write that down. Or t- you can watch it on YouTube for three bucks, but okay, incredible sort of behind the scenes look at what it was like to truly work for the man. And then after Kubrick's death, he continues to hold all of his work in such high regard that he's trying to like make sure things are transferred into the into 70 millimeter, and he just wants to make sure all the transfers look correctly color wise. Like he just devotes his life to another man's artistic output. Wow, mind blowing. His yeah. life, his whole life to it. Yeah. Really cool doc. For a Kubrick fan, I think you'll love it. Oh, Kubrick's, because he's so crazy. And it's like this, it's it's called Stanley Kubrick's Boxes. And, oh, yeah, you know, it's like, I'll give you just like a brief synopsis. And anybody who's a Kubrick or a film nerd, like us, like check it out. Um, <clears throat> it's about a guy who goes to Kubrick's estate and it's like pretty much off limits, but for some reason he gets access to it. And he's speaking with, I believe it's Kubrick's wife and daughter. And they're on like his, his estate. And towards the back, there's like, it almost looks like, um, like a long, like it's almost like a shed, but it's like a long shed, like a storage shed. It's really long. And what's in there is just racks and racks and racks of boxes. Now, what's in them is like just basic little ideas from like bef- like even before like like something like two thousand and one was even done. Like just ideas, and everything is meticulously filed away. There's a section of it where it's nothing but death threats. There's there's a whole section where he goes into where this guy. Kubrick sent him off. He was like an assistant or something like that. It might be the guy that you're speaking about. He, Kubrick tells him to go and they must've went through, it was somewhere around like 800 different black hats to see which one is the most menacing for Alex in Clockwork Orange. They went through the, the famous, you know, the axe, here's Johnny scene in The Shining. They went through 60 doors to get that correct. Yeah, 60. Right. And, and like the way that if you watch it, like now that's all I see. If you watch that scene when Jack is on the outside of the door and he's, and he's swinging the axe, the camera goes back and forth with his swing to make it seem heavier and more impact. But they went through 60 different doors and door frames to get that. Um, there was another one. There's a, a specific red door that needed to be, he had to find a red door that was a natural occurring red door. And he went through like thousands all over the place to find the one shot. It was like a one shot for like three seconds in eyes wide shot. But this guy searched for like, 10 months for a red door and it's like crazy and why it's called besides the fact that all of the files and all of these things are in boxes there was a receipt and a note from like a local like i guess it's like some sort of a stationery or a paper store where they made custom boxes well stanley went to this place and he got all of these boxes but the lids on the box it was too snug. So like it didn't 
fit how he wanted it to fit. So he had this guy custom make specific, I mean, down to like millimeters, specific size boxes and lids so that it's nice and easy for him when he places the lid on top, it just goes on top. He doesn't have to push it all. It's like these little tiny things that a madman does, but it's super interesting. Stanley Kubrick's boxes on YouTube. Artistic people are out of their minds. And the more rope you give them to allow that craziness, the more crazy they're going to become. Yeah. Become famous like that. You get to become so eccentric that you're measuring the width of the box lid. Yes. That's going to be in your storage shed to make sure that your death threats are in alphabetical order. It's, (laughs) It's fucking crazy, bro. I love it. That's cool that that's on YouTube. I'll check that for sure. Stanley Kubrick's boxes. It's not even long. It's like a half hour, but that's all you need. It's, it, it's, a, it's a, a quick trip into the mind of a psycho genius. It's awesome. Absolutely. That's cool. Yeah. If gun to your head, you'd call Boogie Nights your favorite. That's mind-blowing, man. I, I would say gun to my head, yeah. I mean, there's so many that, I mean, yeah. I mean, there's so many incredible movies. Taxi Driver, you love Taxi Driver? Love it. Love Taxi Driver because I love Taxi Driver because of the sheer grittiness of old New York City. You know, it's just funky. It just feels like a dirty movie. Yeah, it's so cliche to say it, but I think Gun to My Head that might be the one for me. There's there's nothing wrong with that at all. You know, it's just like such the you know every man's favorite movie. But I, I think it's absolutely perfect. I love I love it. Apocalypse Now, another huge... Oh, my movie. God, man. That is... That's up there. That's top three for me, yeah. without a doubt. Without, uh, without a doubt. Now, but we want to talk Apocalypse Now. Did you see Hearts of Darkness? Yeah, of course. Of yeah, course. Yeah. That, what a shit show to make that movie, man. Like, we had a fun discussion a couple days ago that if you were showing... Apocalypse Now for the first time to someone, your girlfriend, you want her to see one of the most important movies. Do you show her the doc before the movie or after the movie? Do you show them the insanity behind the scenes? And I was like a little conflicted on what the answer is. Yeah, so that's a good one. I saw it after, obviously. I'd seen Apocalypse Now, you know, 20 times before I made my way to the doc. But I almost feel like showing the doc just as a doc, as its own piece of work, and then watching the movie may be a more powerful experience. It's, it's unbelievable. What a fucking, what a story. What a goddamn what? story of what they went through to get that thing made. Oh my God. Yeah. It's like, every, every time I think about the helicopters being called off to go fight in an actual guerrilla war. Yeah, the Philippines. Yeah, it's crazy. It's like, yo. And poor Stanley. I mean, poor, poor Francis just raging that they're taking his helicopters away again. It makes me laugh every time. Yeah, his helicopters. You're using the military, Filipino Air Force, whatever, crazy. Like, monsoons ripping through, destroying everything. Yeah, Marcin almost dies of a heart attack. (laughs) Yeah, and even, like, that whole opening scene of him in the hotel room where he was legitimately going through some fucking shit in his head in his life at the time and that was all real that they just kept the camera rolling and captured that like being in that room feels dirty it feels wrong to be in there with them in that moment it really is like oh that's crazy 
Yeah. They, mm-hmm. And and they were just like, this is genuine reaction. So let's just keep rolling. You know, they, they tortured what's a face yeah, in the shining. To keep the camera rolling. That is so insane to be like, no, nah, like this is good shit. Like this is good shit. <laughs> this guy's having a legitimate mental breakdown, but fucking film it. What a fuck. That's a favorite for sure. Pogos now is a big one. Yeah, that's a favorite. I mean, even like nostalgia wise, man. Like I could sit, I could watch The Outsiders all day long, man. Really? No? Uh, absolutely, absolutely. Not for you. I mean, I have a funny outsider story I'll tell you. It's a little long, but I'll tell it to you. All right. That's fine. I read the book. Read the book when I was a kid. It might have been the first sort of non-like child book into teen book that ever just put its hooks in me to the point where my mom would have to come in and take it out of my hands because I'd be reading it way past bedtime on a school night. She would have to remove the book from me. I love the book. Written by, written by, written by a, a woman, Essie Hinton, who flunked out of English class in high school and wound up writing that and Rumblefish and a whole bunch of other books. But dude, the book was written while she was a high school student. Yes. It was a project. She was writing this at like 15 fucking years old. 100%. Yep. So I loved the book and loved the, the idea of street gangs and violent rivalries and jean jackets and switchblades. I mean, that movie just set me on a path for a couple of years. What I, The person I knew I wanted to grow into. Yeah, you wanted to be a greaser. <laughs> Everyone wanted to be a greaser. I just wanted my family. I wanted my brothers. You know, I wanted people that were ready to fucking fight and die in the rain for me. That seems... <laughs> yeah, like, you gotta you know, have a rumble down the block in the park. I loved that book. End up in, living in Virginia with my dad. 12 and 13 years old. My dad, far less controlling person than my mother. I was way off the leash. I could go to the movies. I could watch whatever. I watched The Exorcist at like 12 years old. I was watching The Deer Hunter. So I'm going to get to go and see this movie with my junior high school friends at the mall. And I am beside myself with excitement because I know the director made The Godfather. I know that like somehow this book that I thought I discovered is being directed by this great, great legend of film. So I'm telling my friends, we got to be there early. We got to buy the tickets two hours early. It's going to be fucking mob. In my mind, it's going to be the biggest thing in the world. There's movies and there's like 12 people in there on a Friday opening night. I'm in Virginia. Nobody cares about the fucking outsiders in Winchester, Virginia. Right. The moment I always look back on it, just being like, man, it didn't quite work like I thought it was going to be in my head. I thought it was going to be madness in there. Uh-huh. I loved it then. I definitely loved it then, but now I'm way more of a Rumblefish guy. I I much. It's much amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He, he um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you on the first one, but you know, uh, you know the the rapper. Yeah, that he bought the house. Yes, Dan, Danny Boy from it's it's the Outsiders House Museum, and I just recently bought. You know, it's 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 all for charity, and and he does things in the in Tulsa in the schools and stuff, and um. He just, uh, there's like commemorative, you could buy like a customized, in the the uh, the complete story, there's there's two versions of the movie. There's one where, there's the regular one where it starts off and, and Matt Dillon is outside the, the movie theater and Pony Boy is writing. But then there's another version, it's called the complete story. And there's a whole bunch of other scenes. It's like a half hour longer. And- 
is the actual cut that you can get your hands on or just the story? Absolutely. Absolutely. Just just type in, yeah, just look it up. The outside is the complete story. Or the, the complete, it's called the complete novel. That's what it's called. Okay. And um, you see it behind the house, there's like another house that you don't see in the regular cut of the movie, but that's still there. And what he did was, what Danny Boy did was, he had people, if you wanted to, um, you can buy and you can customize like a brick and they, they, they line like the whole patio and everything of that with the bricks. It's also to raise money and something cool. If you're a fan of the movie, you could be a part of it. So I did one for, for it was, um, I just wrote nothing gold can stay um, for Judy, who's my mother who passed. So I wrote, for Judy, nothing gold can stay from Alexa and Jimmy meeting me and my, my me and my daughter. Okay. So like we, we got one of those and people bought bricks and stuff like that. It's a really, really, really amazing thing that he's doing out there in Tulsa. It's awesome. Yeah. He lives in like the Mayo hotel, which is in Rumblefish. Oh really? Yeah. He has like, he bought a spot in the Mayo hotel. He takes pictures all the time. Like the sunsets and the sunsets in Tulsa are beautiful. It's like the movie. It's like, you know, we, we sort of, you know, maybe, maybe we're not from a different place because we saw the same sunset. You know, it's yeah. the whole thing. It's, it's an amazing, it's a, it's a whole great thing that he's doing out there. And it's a bucket list thing for me to actually go out there and see the house. I mean, he restored yeah, the entire it. thing, man. You you know, he, had, he had, like, Ralph Macchio came out there. C. Thomas Howell's been out there. S.E. Hinton's always there. Um, Darren Dalton, the main soch, is always out there. So there's, it's it's really cool. Like I would love to sit there, and even Danny was like, "Yo, you come out here, see we, who who we can rally up. We'll sit, we'll do a podcast right in the middle of the living room where Emilio Estevez drinks the beer and eats the fucking chocolate yeah. cake while watching <laughs> Mickey Mouse." I'm like, I would do that in a heartbeat. <laughs> what a cool dude that he fucking just wanted to make that that film and the thing surrounding it so so special. Yeah, yeah, yeah. on a whim, on a whim. They were on tour, and he was like. What do they do around here? And it was it was it was like a two day break, and he like called up like a cab and was like, "Here's however much money, like bring me to the outside of his house." And there was like a for sale sign on it, and it was destroyed. There was like two families living in it, just back on rent, and this and that and the other thing. And there was like a a community, like a, a low income housing community, like a like committee that was coming through and just leveling everything and putting up new houses. And Danny was like, "No, no, 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 no." Like, I don't want to come back on tour, go through this market again and come back here and it'd be gone. Like, that's not happening. So he jumped through a whole bunch of hoops and made it happen and got help from, you know, he, he, he says it all the time. He's like, you know, you know, uh, giant ego, super low self-esteem, but it's really hard for me to ask for help. But I ask for help. And so many people like Billy Idol, like, like Billy Idol, like the Billy Idol, like donated money and like, and. It, it became like a whole amazing thing that he's doing out there in Tulsa. Fucking love it, man. Yeah, man, it's really cool. He's, yeah. pres he's preser preserving a piece of pop culture and movie history, man. It's great. When I was a kid, I loved the movie. Don't get me wrong. But somehow <laughs> it didn't stay as like a, a constant go back to uh -huh. for me the way Rumblefish did, but right. when I was a kid, I, that was one that I could quote every line and knew what had made it from the book, what wasn't there in the book. Like, yeah. And he also, I think he he also did certain things with Rumblefish because it was filmed all over there. And like there's certain hole, there's like like alleyways where Motorcycle Boy, Mickey Rourke, and like there's like plaques, like this commemorates the exact spot where, you know, uh, 
motorcycle ball, like like certain things that happened in that movie. Like he put up like these big legitimate brass plaques on buildings, like the landmark certain spots from Rumblefish as well. Oh, that's really cool. He became really, really, really close with S.E. Hinton. It's really cool. I love that. Yeah, yeah me too, man. That's when I found out that she was like 15 years old when she started that book. Like what a thing to hear. That yeah. Teenage girl wrote something so powerful. Amazing, right? Incredible. Yeah, dude. What about true romance? Where's your stance on true romance? Oh, fucking absolutely incredible, man. I watched it like last week it was on. Good, good, good. That's another yeah. one considered to be pretty close to perfect. Love oh, it. it's fucking amazing, man. It's, it, this, the, the cast is incredible. Stupid Brad Pitt with his dumb little, little bong. Don't fucking contradict me, man. Like that whole thing. James Gandolfini plays an insane dude who throws in such a beat and that the whole scene is so intense. Dark. And, right. and, and how can, how can you just not mention Gary Oldman, man? Like as Drexel, such a small part, but so memorable. It's incredible. Like that guy is one of my favorite actors. And I feel like I, I want to say in one breath that he doesn't do enough, but I feel that if he did more, it would cheapen him. Yeah. Because he does so much incredible things, man. Like him in The Professional and even State of Grace, which a lot of people slept on the movie State of Grace. Love it. Love Love that. Love it. I didn't see it in the movie theater, but I've seen it a million times. Incredible movie. Incredible movie. Sean Penn, Ed Harris, fucking Gary Oldman, so many good people in that movie, man. And it, 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 um, Takes a lot from older movies, older directors that I love. This I don't know if you know who Sam Peckinpah is. He of made course. a lot of westerns in the early '70s, where the violence was shot aesthetically and in slow motion, and you know, the, it almost looks it almost looks beautiful to watch these moments of terrible violence. And the ending uh, there with the juxtaposition with the parade and the song that's playing is beautiful. Yeah. People crying in slow motion. I was like, man, this is a reference to like my you know maverick filmmaker heroes yeah that took violence and sort of brought it to a very aesthetic level i don't know if you know who john woo is if you've ever seen the killer or hard I, know, I know who he is Check those. I mean, i'm sure i've had to have seen some of his movies those are those are classics for film heads you know very violent movies over the top That's fine i like but, over the top shit i love i i'm a big fan of over the top sometimes completely silly over the top, like I, I, I'm a fan. Like I, I go all over the place. Like I said, I could watch some trash, terrible cinema. Like, like I recently watched Chud. Okay. From like 1982, the movie looks like it costs fifty dollars to make. It's, I don't know what Chud stands for. I remember being a kid and finding out and being like, "Whoa, that sounds fucking creepy." Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers. I never saw it, but I always, always kept that in the back of my head of what it's It's, it's the most ridiculous thing ever. <laughs> but I'll yeah, watch it in the end game. I, be, I became a movie snob who just had his nose in the air to those things even back then. Somehow, man. I just <laughs> like, yeah, I like saw The Exorcist. I had seen The Godfather. I just sort of knew the difference. Oh, oh me too. See, I know the difference. But it's like, I know that I'm about to sit down and waste an hour and a half on nonsense. I know what I'm getting into. It's a complete shit show. It's a waste. It's mindless. But it's fun to watch. You know what I mean? It's just so terrible. But like, like, a movie, like people that like, 
I've never seen Dumb and Dumber or never seen Bill and Ted's. And the way they look at me is so insane. It's like if somebody were to tell me, no, I've never heard the Beatles. You know, they just look at me like, what? Because for them, those are their great movies. And I have no leg to stand on to tell them those are not great movies. It's just those aren't the movies that I've ever spoken to me. I've seen them both many times. Like my daughter loves Dumb and Dumber. It's, it's, you get into it, don't expect like some cinematic masterpiece because it's it's a shit show it's just dumb it's just dumb no for sure i mean i've been in the room where adam sandler movies are on the one that he's golfing i don't even know what it's called but i've like seen the scenes i know Uh, uh, happy gilmore i mean just the fact that he fights and 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 bob barker beats the shit out of him is just insane in and of itself Yeah, yeah 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 but it's like you know, like you mentioned, like The Exorcist. Like I've been, I, I've gone to The Exorcist house and The Exorcist steps, and I've done, you know, a lot of things. Like you know, location wise, you know, I think I explained like this whole Delta Bravo urban exploration team thing, where I go to movie sites and stuff. That was incredible to do, man. Like you're standing in front of that house, and and it's like you realize, oh, it's like movie magic because in The Exorcist, where Reagan's room is, where uh, Kara's at the end jumps out the window. He jumps and he lands right onto the stairs and falls down. But they added a section to that house for that movie because yeah. if you go there, no, it's it's it's, it's not even close, right? You know, I remember but, thinking the same thing actually. We have a photo of Nick who you interviewed lying at the bottom of those steps with his neck twisted. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. You should message him and ask him if he has it because we went there. Well, I think we went there a few times when we were down in D.C. to be at the Exorcist. Yeah. He likes, he likes to do that stuff as well, go and visit historic spots. From yeah, I love that stuff. I did a Scarface spot. Game for me, seeing Exorcist, seeing something that dark at a young age. It sets you on a path where you want more movies that make you feel that way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're, uh, we're I mean, how how old are you? I'm fifty. All right, I'm forty four. We're same generation, basically. Um, so that movie, like for me, like if like my daughter has asked me years ago, I mean, she's only ten, but it was still years ago. Like, Dad, like, what was like the most scariest movie you ever seen? And I'm like, The Exorcist. Like hands down, you know? And then when she got old enough, you see, I know that movie backwards and forwards and I was watching it with her, but there's certain things at a certain age. Block her eyes, I'll make noises. Ah! So you don't hear certain things because then it opens up a can of worms. She's asking me questions about things and not at that age, but... um. So like she watched it and she's I'm like I'm looking at it she's just like watching it and I'm like what do you think You're like do you think this is scary and she's like she just has a potty mouth like that's all she said to me I'm like really I'm like this movie like when I was a kid I thought when I was four or five years old when I when my crazy father actually let me watch it it was on TV For, until I was like nine years old I thought she was under my bed like like that movie tortured me as a little kid i would have dreams that the exorcist girl was in the dreams and it was horrifying you know but but her she's like nah she just curses a lot dad <laughs> I'm like wow I talk to people that look me straight in the face and say they don't find it scary 
then, 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 you know what they are? I think that they're not like movie people. I don't know. Like there's so, there's so much more to that movie than just basically a movie. I think there's so much in that. And, and the craziness that surrounds the making of that movie is insane. How many people literally died who got into accidents? The whole set burned down. Like, like even like the the fill in. Like there was another girl I don't remember her name who who was supposed to play Linda Blair's part, but th- she's in the movie at certain spots. And like wh- while Reagan is possessed, there's a couple of spots where it's not Linda Blair. It's the other world. It's the other woman. It's like after that, like sh- like the the luck that she had in life went went fucking all downhill that woman's son like wound up killing himself like took two guns and fucking put both of them onto his head like so much craziness surrounds so many levels of that movie that just makes it more of just a movie to me you know what i mean yeah 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 scary one i remember the feeling of when she announces that she's the devil and think and thinking well they she may be lying but right. She may be telling the truth. And the thought that, that the devil could actually come over into our realm was, continues to be so horrifying to me. That sure. It's a lie, but maybe that's true. Maybe that she is being possessed by the actual devil. Right. Now. right. Fucked me up. Yeah, so, dude. Yeah, she even says, she's like, who am I speaking with? And he, she even says, it's like, I am the devil. Now kindly undo these straps. It's like and later, Karis or somebody says she's she's not claiming to just be any demon. She's claiming to be the devil himself. It just seems like uh, yeah, yeah. That's Karis. He's talking to Ellen Burson, the mother, and he even says he's like her claiming to be the devil is like me claiming to be Napoleon Bonaparte. Like that's right. that's yeah. Right. Oh, I know that movie backwards and forwards, bro. <laughs> <laughs> you ever see um, Sorcerer by Freakin? I not, dude. Man, I didn't see it until. Two years ago, from the okay. 70s, came out, listen to this, came out the same week as the first Star Wars. So fucking nobody talked about it. That's exactly why, sure. It, but it's, I actually prefer it. It is really? a very, very dark movie about, movie starts out and you, you kind of hang out with three different characters and see how they all end up in this little South American village together. And then they have to go on this insane journey. That's all I'll give you. But it is dark it is unrelenting it is fucking edge of your seat really yeah it's i haven't seen a better movie since i saw sorcerer really i gotta write yeah. that down so i saw a film worker here and yeah that's the dark yeah that's like that's the kubrick doc yeah and sorcerer no doubt and then write down the killer or hard-boiled those are both those are those are the two john woo sort of absolute classics that i just okay. You don't have to watch them both because they're both very similar. If you love one, you're gonna watch. Going to want to watch the I'm other. All in, man. I'm I'm open to whatever. I love to I love to check out something new all the time. In Hard Boiled, there's a tracking shot that is longer and more complex than the one in Goodfellas. Really, like twenty minute long where you follow him and it never breaks. Where he's walking through the corridors of a hospital in in the middle of a very insane gunfight. And the wow. goes into the elevator with him, comes out of the elevator, it's swinging around, and it's like mind blowing. That's awesome. So now, now I, I had given you a little homework assignment. What did you think about uh, Laws yeah, on Trier's 2009 insane Antichrist with Willem Dafoe? 
not for me. I'll tell you, I like the beginning. Beautifully shot. I loved the opening and was really, I was like, whoa, man, maybe Jimmy's really put me onto something here. <laughs> and there is a scene that I can't get out of my head. I don't think I have to even tell you what it was, but it was so awful to watch. Yo, it, it's a very, very disturbing and dark. The thing she does with the scissors is just the worst thing, maybe that I like. I'll be falling asleep to this day and I'll be like, oh God, it's in my head. I can't, I will never unsee this. Uh-huh. And I feel like that was part of the point. I mean, that's what he's trying to do to us is. And he did it. Burn yeah. these images, there, these terrible images in our brain. The big, the big rod with the wheel thing on his, on his leg. And- crazy. Bro. I mean, it was crazy. Those are my favorite kinds of movies. Right. I, I watched it. I wish that it had sort of maintained this the vibe that it had in the beginning, but it just gets so yeah. wild. And I didn't really, there was a lot of things that he felt to me that he was trying to say that I didn't understand. Okay. I really, really didn't get it about nature and what, you know, the, the, what the woods all sort of, sort of represented. Yeah. And it felt a little bit to me like, like he had a bone to pick with women. Like he's really like lashing out at some personal ideas of. Right. Maybe. You know, I got the sort of a similar feeling when I saw Tarantino's most recent one, Hollywood in America, where it just felt like he was addressing some grudges that he holds. Yeah, once upon a time in Hollywood, I yeah. went into that. I went into that excited. Me too. Oh, of course, he's my, one of my favorite filmmakers. By far. Me too, and it might be like my least favorite Tarantino movie. Me too. And it's crazy because DiCaprio, I love DiCaprio. I mean, he's a great actor. There's not, I mean, everything that I've ever seen him in, even if I wasn't that big of a fan of the movie itself, he's been great. Like his role has been great. Like everything from like way back to what's eating Gilbert great to basketball diaries to, I mean, everything to Wolf of Wall Street to, you know, all of that. to Catch Me If You Can, all that stuff is brilliant. But I I don't know. And the whole, I mean, I I get what Tarantino was doing, like, at the end of Inglorious Bastards, where they, I mean, they they machine gun Hitler in the the movie theater and stuff like that. But then, like, to do the same... To do the... Yeah, he changed history, but obviously it's intended, but then... He did the same thing with the whole Manson thing at the end of, you know, I'm like, the blowtorch scene was pretty cool, but, you know, at the end, but uh, I wasn't a fan. My issue is, I mean, here, here's the thing. I think it might be my least favorite. And that said, I still really like it and we'll watch it again and again. It's still, there's so much good to it. I got to give it another, I got to give it another whirl. I, I mean, I'll give it another the, shot. The look of the movie is so goddamn good. It yeah. feels so authentically of its time. Where a lot of movies that, you know, are throwback movies where it feels like there are sets and it feels like these cars were brought on to make it look a certain era. This movie felt like a photograph from that time in motion. It did. It did. The costumes just feel fucking perfect. Yeah. It's a really good movie to look at, and it's a lot of fun. And yeah, when I walked out the first time, I was super disappointed that he did the same thing as he did in *Inglorious Bastards*. Yes, he rewrote the ending to a way that felt right for him. 
Right. So that's like it was a missed opportunity because he spent so much of the movie showing us the innocence of Sharon. And we spend these times of her just being angelic and sweet. And in the back of our heads, we're like, oh my God, this is savage because yeah. we know what this is going to all end. And you think, God, Tarantino is such a sicko to be making us just feel so great about this, this kid. Yeah. And then he doesn't, he can't squeeze the trigger in the end. He just couldn't go through with it. Right. I rode my bike from the movie theater to the casino and thought about that ending the whole way, like a half an hour, just being like, I don't think I can, I don't think I can be okay with him having this much of a cop out to just right. turn it into this ridiculous fantasy realm where the fucking, yeah, the flamethrower still works and he has it in him to actually burn people to the crisp. It just felt silly. Yeah. Upon further reflection, I've come to the conclusion that that was, that was the point from the naming of the movie. This is his storyland. This right. he didn't want to tell the story of the Manstons. He wanted to tell the story of these people and they get to, they get to win in the end. They get to go over and have a nice exchange with their neighbors. Right. I don't like those kind of movies. I don't want my shit to end that way, but right. I'm a little more forgiving of it now than I was the first night where I was like, what a fucking cop up. I just felt robbed yeah. because so much of the movie you're like, this ending is going to be fucking brutal. It just felt like he was building it towards where we're actually going to get to see this poor chick gutted and pig right. written on the wall in blood. And he couldn't go through that. He had to make this like sort of ridiculous Hollywood action star ending. <laughs> yeah. But there's a lot of great moments in that movie. I think oh, yeah. Without a doubt. Leo's, I think it might be my favorite DiCaprio performance because he's so sad in it. You can see him on the wrong side of his career. And it just in the way his eyes look. Yeah. Feel him fighting with the unstoppable force of time. Yeah, know, moving against him. Yeah, you're I right. I love that about it. I loved the touching aspects. I loved the way it looked. Brad Pitt was so fucking badass in it. Oh, he's always good. Always good. He just killed it in that movie. But oh. the ending, I hate the ending. Yeah, me too. Me the too. First time I saw opening night in a packed theater, the place was losing its mind everyone screaming and laughing, throwing their popcorn in the air. It was insane. As this poor, the, the women are getting fucking mangled. Yeah. Losing its mind. He has this way of making it funny and exciting, even though it is so horrifically violent. Yeah. He's like a magician with that stuff. Yeah. Which I is older stuff. I prefer Kill Bill. I love Reservoir Dogs. It's probably my favorite Tarantino I was just gonna. I was just gonna ask you, what was your favorite Tarantino movie? My favorite, Reservoir Dogs, is my favorite. I think he just. It's. Yeah. That was the movie that I've been waiting to see my entire life. That I wanted things to end in a way that felt savage, where yeah. nobody wins, where everybody pays the price. Everybody. Every and intimate. You're in there with them. The guns pointing in each other's faces. Yeah. I have been waiting for that movie. Yeah, and he, and even if you if even if you, if you listen in the background because you see Mr. Pink, you know Steve Buscemi running out with it, but you hear in the background, you know that he's not going out to fight. You hear all the gunfire, the cops are saying, you know he didn't get away, you know he's dead. Yeah, you know, everybody. It cool, like you know Tarantino dialogue wasn't Tarantino dialogue the first time you saw Reservoir Dogs. Right. So it was just crazy to hear criminals talk that way and joke that way, and the soundtrack and their outfits. Yeah. Used to have a movie that's so violent, so sort of nihilistic in the ending, but also just looks so cool that you realize, well, the dude who made this movie 
grew up loving movies the same way I did. Yeah. We didn't want the good guy to always win in the end. You know, the, the, you don't always get the girl. This right. is this is how crime looks. And it's so, it's, it, and the setting is just so simple. I mean, what is it, like 80% of it is in a fucking room. It's just, Great movie. One yeah. of my favorite films, I walked home from that movie theater. I could have taken a ride. I could have gotten a ride from a friend, and I was like, I just want to walk. I just want to think about it. Nice. Remains a favorite of mine. Yeah, sure. I think Pulp Fiction is great. I get that Pulp Fiction showed real growth and is a more, you know, widely embraceable movie for everyone to sort of... Oh, sure. But it's also an incredible movie, but I, I, I would have to agree with you as well. I think we agree on both that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood might be our least favorite Tarantino and Reservoir Dogs is our favorite. Not a huge fan of Django. Like Django, but... Not a huge fan. I wasn't a huge fan of Jackie Brown either. Yeah, I love Jackie Brown. I gotta give it another word. I gotta give it another shot. I don't know. Oh, I love Hateful Eight, I think was a fucking phenomenal Western. Love that one. Yeah. But yeah, Reservoir Dogs is the, is, is, is the favorite. And then he wrote the script for True Romance, and that stands up there too. It's Absolutely. Absolute all-time favorite, favorite. So good. Yeah, like I said, it was on it was on like last week I watched it. It's so good. And I haven't seen it in a while, so it was like that much better. Yeah, I haven't seen this in a while. So I watched the whole thing. I was like, "Fucking what a fucking brilliant, great movie, man!" I love that. You like Kill Bill? You like all the action scenes in Kill Bill? Oh hell yeah! I I prefer one movie. You're gonna love the filler in Hard Boiled. You're going to love those movies that I recommended. Yeah, I'll I'll definitely watch them. Kill Bill is an homage to that style of film. Of course, of course. Plus, they have the, the plus. It's like the RZA did the soundtrack from the Wu Tang Clan. So, and he is all about you know those old school kung fu movies and everything. I mean, so much of their music is based on. I mean, everything is based on it with that whole rap group. What he was doing when he brought when he brought the RZA in, he knew exactly what he was doing. One hundred percent. It worked so brilliant. Brilliant! It's perfect. Perfect match, man. I love that movie. That's a movie that I can watch anytime it's on. Just never feel upset, even if I watched it a week before. I'm right. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, 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 gun to your head. Taxi driver is your favorite, huh? I guess so. I mean, it's, maybe today, tomorrow it could be different. I mean, no, like today, my favorite movie is like Breathless from John Luc Goddard, some French movie, or Days of Heaven. There's movies that I have a stronger feeling towards now but just over the course of my entire life if i really have to objectively look at a body of work as being what i consider to be the greatest as far as how it speaks to me perfectly mm-hmm. i just can't think of anything that nails it the way taxi driver did i just can't think of anything that was that spoke more directly to me right and after that would be apocalypse now but there are you know there are mo- there are other movies that if i'm going to you know, me and my friends, we like to make top top 10 lists. We like to challenge each other. What do you like better, this or this? We sure. love those sorts of conversations. Yeah. And it changes from me from, from time to time. But gun to my head, like, no, you have to pick the one movie. Yeah. I think it has to be Taxi Driver, man. That's like your Desert Island, that's like your desert island movie. No, I don't want to bring that one to the Desert Island because I know <laughs> I want to bring, like, The Seven Samurai or some... <laughs> three four hour long movie that i'll that will always reveal something new to me right i'm just saying as a complete work of art i can't think of anything that that delivered more consistently and right. the text of it was just un 
fucking real of wow. a look of what it's like to be facing madness, you know? Yeah. Travis Pickle, baby. A feeling of not really being in rhythm with the rest of the world around you. Yeah. Like, I, I get that shit. I really, I'm not going to go on a shooting spree and kill anyone, but I get what it means to feel. Yeah. Like, you identify with it. I get it. I do not fucking fit around here. Just, I don't know how this works. Right. Yeah, great movie. Yeah, man. So yeah, you're chomping at the bit to get back, to get back into the movie theater, huh? Dude, man, I think I miss it more than anything. Just movie theater popcorn. I just want to have the fucking bu- bucket of buttery popcorn and a large soda. Yeah. I'll like, I, yeah, I've been on a huge Woody Allen kick, and I saw one recently where there's a scene where they're in the theater and they have popcorn and soda, and I like wanted to cry. I just was like, what the fuck? How can I not go have that right now? Uh-huh. Dude, I live five minutes from three theaters, less. I live two minutes from two theaters. And um, I'm a dude who at 10 o'clock at night would just get on my bike and just all by myself ride to the movie just to get snacks and to be in like the air conditioning and watch anything. Yeah. Especially when Movie Pass was a thing and you could see all the movies for free. I, was, I love going to movies. I love going to the movies alone. I love going to a matinee. I love sure. going to a show. Love getting out of the movies and having it be two in the morning and the streets are quiet. Yeah. I think I, I mean, I'm a big time poker player, but yeah, I think I would choose if I could only choose one right now, I would pick the movie. Ain't nothing wrong with that, man. There's nothing you wrong with the movie. Or What's do you watch that? most of the stuff at home? You love going to the movies? Um, I don't, th- I don't think I love going to the movies as much as you because I think people annoy me in the movie theater. A lot of my friends have that similar, like they would rather die than go to the movies because of it's, how obnoxious other people It's are. just like, there's always the person <laughs> that doesn't shut their phone off. There's always the person on their phone. There's always the person that just can't settle down. It's like, settle down. It's like, how come I'm able to sit here quietly and watch and you can't? Like, it's bad. <laughs> it's bad. You know, but, but I, do, I do, besides all of that, I do enjoy going to the movies. If you cut all that out, I'd be there all the time. Yeah. I have friends who love movies, who I have a lot in common with, that just hate the thought of having to go there and deal with those sort of people on a Friday night at like nine o'clock. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's a whole shit show. You have everybody. Oh, yeah, it's bad. And then you're at a movie where it's like, uh, like you're at like a, a scary horror movie or something like disturbing movie, but then there's the person that brings the baby. Oh, my It's goodness. like, why are you bringing a toddler to this? It's like, what are you doing? So there's, a really, there's a really cool, here in Brooklyn, there's a couple locations, but... Me and my girlfriend were only at one of them. It's called the Nighthawk Cinema. Yeah, I saw a Texas Chainsaw Massacre there. In Brooklyn? On Halloween at, at Nighthawk. I've been at Nighthawk, I don't know, three or four times. The small little rooms? Maybe I waited in line and saw the fucking Texas Chainsaw Massacre at midnight at Nighthawk. At the original? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> see, that, see that movie right there is up there for me. I absolutely love that movie. I could watch that movie once a week no problem it's filthy it's such a gritty grimy movie there's very little blood in it people think it's so gory it's just insinuated and you know what's happening but you don't actually see it 
It's brilliant. Toby Hooper's a maniac. I met a whole... I, I kicked myself in the ass. I started going to horror conventions a little bit late. I never met Gunnar Hansen. But I met several people from that movie, just the grandfather and and uh, Pam, the one who gets hung on the meat hook. And I, I met a whole bunch of these people. And, like, you know, they, you know, it's just crazy just to... You know, a lot of people are like, oh, you go to these horror conventions. Like, who cares? But, like, nah, man. Like, I grew up watching that stuff, and it's cool to shake someone's hand. And like, oh, like, this is the real person that I grew up watching. Yes, yeah. of course, they're much older, but it's just a really cool experience. You know what I mean? I, I love, love doing that, that You get so much out of that. I think it's so cool. I love it. And that's that's one thing. Like, this whole summer, I mean, we, me and my girlfriend and my daughter, we go to, like, I'm going to say on an average, like six, like five to six conventions a year. We go to Monster Mania. We go to Chiller. We go to New Jersey Horror Con. We'll, there'll be like an offshoot one. Like there was one, uh, it was called, uh, I don't know, some creature feature weekend or something like that. It was kind of small, but it was cool because I actually hung out with and met and was bullshit with fucking Corey fucking Feldman. Like, of all people, it's like, you know, okay, yeah, you know, stand by me, the Lost Boys, all that. But, yo, I want to hang out with you because you were Tommy Jarvis in Friday 13th, part four, the final chapter. Like, that's my connection to Corey Feldman, you know, and he was really cool. Everyone's like, oh, he's such a weird dude. Yeah, he's a little, he's a little out there, but it's a super sweetheart of a guy. Like, to me, hi, like, super sweet to my daughter and my girlfriend. Like, super nice guy. A lot shorter than I thought he was going to be. He's like a little guy. Yeah. Thought he would be taller, but no, but you know, I'll go, we'll drive four hours just to go have an experience like that. Change the scenery, go to a hotel, meet a couple of people, hang out, eat mm-hmm. some shitty food somewhere and get autographs and buy coffee mugs and nonsense that we don't need, refrigerator magnets. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I love it. It's just fun, cool shit to do. It's nerdy, fun shit to do. So you're fairly close to Nighthawk? Close to you? 20 minute drive. It's awesome. I think yeah. it's cool too. You ever go to the IFC? You ever go to that one? Sure. Yeah, down and down on on uh, in the in the in the village, down on right across the street from the Westport basketball courts. Exactly. Incredible movie theater. Love sure. that. Sure. Yeah, man. There's one that's really not that bad either. It's 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 like ten minutes away. My boss lives right around the block from it. It's called the Alpine Cinema. It's small. It's really old, but it's like super cheap. It's like six dollars. Six, seven dollars. It's like New York City. Come on, baby. That's exactly. It's like I'll go. You want to go to a six dollar matinee? All right. Cool. Like, it's cool, man. You know, we see a whole bunch of movies there. That, that's like the local movie theater. Let's go to Alpine. I mean, we can go. You know, we can jump on the Bell Parkway and drive like ten minutes away and go to like the UA. That's a big, huge thing, you know. But you know, we want to go to a movie. Go to the Alpine right here. Dude, for like a big, being a big fan of indies and foreign movies and sort of throwback stuff, I have a website on my phone. And if you're, I try to only open it when I'm in New York because it's, it'll tell you everything that's playing in every little art house theater and every, you can just scroll through what's popping today. And there's always 10 things like Heat is playing and some old samurai movie is playing and some old French crime film. Just you guys are the best film city on earth. Yeah. It's, For that type of stuff. If you're willing to sit in like maybe a small, stuffy... I've been in theaters in New York City where like I'm sitting on a metal folding chair, you know? Like this is just what it is, but I'm watching 
movie that you're just not going to get to see on the big screen very sure. often. Oh. Yeah, it's like we the last time we were, we were at um, Nighthawk, we went to go see, and I don't know if you watched it, but we went to go see Hereditary. No, not Hereditary, Midsummer. Yeah. Did you see Midsummer? No, nah, people are telling me I should check them out. Both of those, I don't know, man. Uh, see, uh, they're, they're, they're disturbing. They are, it's the same director. Um, Ari Aster is his name. Um, very, very different, very subtle. Some, some parts are subtle and some are very prominent, very occult-ish. But mid, uh, Hereditary, the whole movie is very, very, very dark. The whole thing is very dark and gloomy. Yeah. And it made me, I'm very... When it comes to horror stuff, and like nothing really affects me anymore, I'm so desensitized to it. Sure. But it made us both. We looked at each other when it was over, and we both were just like, like literally, like I really don't feel right. I don't feel okay. A seasoned horror movie vet, it upset you like that. Hereditary. I mean, I remember after it came out, people were talking. People were like in a state of shock. It, I wasn't in shock. I just really felt fit. Like I had to wrap my head around shit and physically like my, like my, it sounds so crazy for me to even be saying it, but like my spirit, like I felt <laughs> off. I felt not right. It's like, I love that movie. But I don't like that movie kind of shit. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the, it was the about one I saw once called Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Oh, I've seen that. Watched, watched it once, thought it was great, but was like, I will never, ever watch that again. Yeah, that's based on Henry Lee Lucas, the, the serial killer. Sure. I saw it once, was like, wow, that was very disturbing, well-made horror movie, slasher movie or whatever. But uh-huh. yeah. yeah, yeah. Until Hereditary made us feel really fucked up at the end and it stuck with us man it stuck with us for a little while like something is up like i feel like there's something on me type shit and then midsummer i didn't feel as disturbed at the end it made you feel really uneasy but what he pulled off was it happens during the summer solstice in scandinavia so everything in the movie is super bright blue skies, super bright, the whole movie. And to be able to pull off something that makes you feel really fucked up and like a horror aspect and some bat shit, crazy shit, to pull that off in broad daylight mm-hmm. is saying so, and he does it. And it's just like, I yo, know. man. That's cool. That's about a cult, right? It's, yeah, yeah. It's just bizarre, crazy shit. and. Like, my girlfriend knows about, well, she reads a lot of books and all this. So she knows about all that kind of stuff. And, and like, there's a certain part in the movie where I'm like, what the fuck is happening? Like, he's, like the, he's burying, like a, like, a piece of steak with, like, eggs and some shit. And I'm like, I look, and she's just, like, smiling. Like, she knows what's going on. I'm like, you understand this? She's like, oh, yeah, I know what that is. I'm like... It's this fucking bizarre shit. But then she was telling me about it and she was saying like this director, he's super young, 
but he's super smart and in tune with some really, really, really dark occultist shit. And he, the way he portrays it and directs it in these movies and how he puts it out there is absolutely brilliant. He's nailing the details. He's like yeah. winking to the people that are in the know. Yeah, big time. And now, like, I can't say that, like, it's, it's like, all right, you always know that there's going to be a Scorsese movie. There's going to be a Tarantino movie. But, like, I can't wait for the next. I'm, I'm dying to see what the next Ari Aster film is going to be. Right. That's how I'm feeling about the Safety brothers right now. I can't wait to see what they're going to hit us with after Uncut Gems. Dude, that movie was fucking bananas, man. Great, movie. great fucking movie. Great movie. I wasn't a huge fan of Good Times. Somehow that one didn't really work for me as much, but... I didn't see it. That was their first one. Robert Pattinson's in it. But my God, Uncut Gems was a real treat. Dude, it's they just so nerve-wracking and just... <laughs> it really is so upsetting. It's so upsetting, man. It's like, come on, man. Get your shit together. Like, this guy just... He's so desperate. He just needs a break, and he's just such a fuck-up. It's like, oh, my God, man. The movie never lets you breathe. It's just never. Like, never. It's not for a second. Lebowski with its pacing that every beat, something new is dragging it's you off. so man. crazy. Uncut Gems, good. I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot about that. I seen that recently. Incredible movie. One of the best. Yeah, at the end, I was like, holy shit, man. I felt so (sighs) stupid because I was so shocked. And then you're like, yeah. You expect. It doesn't end that way. Of course it ends that way. But in the moment, I was so completely caught off guard. Yeah. And then I got to see it again. I got to see it again. Actually, we went just before all this shit popped off. We went with Stu, Zach came, Stevie came. We all went and saw it. Pete came. Actually, most of the people that you interviewed came to this movie night. Nice. We saw a late show. So I knew where it was moving toward. So I got to sort of just like feel the vibe of the theater for that last scene. And it was just so cool to just feel everyone <laughs> yeah. going through the same thing that I'd gone through a couple weeks before. Yeah. Ending. Yeah. And this time and Savage too. I I just want to see what these boys are gonna do next because I gotta I gotta see that. It's called Good Times. Yeah, it's called Good Time. It's a New York story. Okay. It's New York story, and it's okay. All right, I'll I'll I'm down. I'm down I, for whatever, man. Some I mean, people really, really love it. I can't wait to hear what you think about Sorcerer. I think Sorcerer is gonna really fucking clobber you, man. I'll, well, you know I'll, I'll, like at his absolute best, Roy Scheider's in it. It's oh nice. It's yeah. Chief Brody. Exactly. It's yeah. I watched one last night, man, with the boys. I watched one, I don't know if you've ever heard of it, it's from er- the early 70s. It's called Tulane Blacktop. You ever hear of that? It's like a cult movie. Oh. 1973. Okay. I heard buzzings about it through film nerds, and I always knew that it had something to do with cars. I'm not really a car guy, so I just sort of like, it was one of those movies that completely, completely slipped through the cracks. Okay. And some friends started buzzing about it. They saw it recently. It stars an actor that a bunch of the guys are into this dude named Warren Oates, this sort of early 70s tough guy, cool guy. Okay. So we watched it. I mean, I, on Tuesdays, we did it on Wednesday this week. I, have a, I, I get together with a group of friends. We sit in their apartment and watch a movie. We ran that last night. And it, yeah, it's about car racing, but it's really like easy rider-ish where it's also about America and blue jeans and long hair it's like came you know felt felt like a darker version of easy rider okay almost, with you. it's not really about 
Tulane blacktop? Dude, it is the best thing I have seen in a minute. I know I've said that line a few times in this conversation, but Fine. I, I get was it. fucking shocked at like, how does a movie this good fly on the radar? I just, I was watching a movie. I had no idea where it was going to go. Halfway through the movie, I was so worried for everyone. You just feel like this could end so bad. It was phenomenal. Definitely right. like, a horror movie last night that I know I'll be watching for the rest of my life. Tulane Blacktop. Okay. Great. I have it on my list as well. Awesome. Stars James Taylor. James okay. Taylor star and the drummer to the Beach Boys. Those Sick. Are the I had no idea. I was like, that, that's James Taylor? I had no clue. <laughs> They're great in it, and it's just really well directed. Looks amazing, and yeah, awesome. It's fucking dark. Good shit. It's a dark look at the life of like racing cars for money and going on to the next town and just trying to survive. Hey, listen, it's something I would definitely watch. I'm open to anything, dude. I'm, I'm really think about it. Oh, without a doubt, you know I'll hit you up. Cool, cool. cool, cool, man. Fuck. What I wanted to do, talk movies, man, with the homies. Well, yeah, bro, we went, we, we, we're at two hours and 12 minutes. We spoke about movies for a good hour and a half. Perfect. It's awesome. Good yeah. shit, man. Okay. Well, now listen, same routine. Even though this was a majority movie thing, I'm glad we touched on, you know, the, the final show and the doc and, you know, and, and I'm glad that Zach, you know, put that little tidbit of information out there in the universe, even though it was just in passing and it was in the moment, but he still said it, um, which I like. Um, so, you know, the drill, the audio version, I'm going to have to ask you, you need to, you need to pick another Bane song to end with, but you can't pick this. Well, hold on. I have it right here. I saved the list. Okay. There's 10 songs that you cannot pick that are taken. You want me to tell you what was used? Or you want me to tell you and you'll tell me that it's, if it's on the list or not. Let's okay. Whatever you want to do. You know, I've been thinking a lot this week of the lyrics to All the Way Through from the last record. Aaron Dahlbeck used it. No shit. Oh, because he wrote that fucking intro. <laughs> Some of Aaron Dahlbeck's contributions to Bane are so legendary, man. That intro that he wrote. It's incredible. And, and, and Bobby, he was like, all right, I'm biased. So he, he picked non-negotiable because it starts off with drums. <laughs> track, though. Uh, well, let's go with every effort made, man. It's just too many of my friends throughout my life have told me, why don't you guys write more songs like Every Effort Made? They were disappointed that Bane sort of moved away from those very simple two-minute verse, chorus, verse, chorus type songs. Ah. And I'm proud that we wrote a song that's just like, Pitch that immediately. I think it gets the point across. I'm happy with the lyrics. So it's a good sure. one. For me. You like that one? That's on the seven inch you just got. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've been I've been going a little crazy lately. I just I, I'm I'm very I'm very late to the game, but I've heard of it. But I just recently, as a matter of fact, today I bought a whole bunch of shit, which I probably shouldn't have, but I did anyway. I signed up to Discogs, yeah. and uh. And uh, yeah, I I ha I I got like I have like seven different Bane seven inches coming. Old old different versions of different seven inches from the World Series. 
this isn't a time of your life where you need to become a record collector. Why are you doing this? This seems crazy. Are you already I, a record guy? Kind of. See, I was kind of a record guy, and I sold all my shit years ago like an idiot. God damn, dude. What are you doing? Get off Discord. You're crazy. I know. It's bad. And then, like, like, I bought, like, three from one guy, and then he's like, and then he messages me, like, he emails me. He's like, well, since you're buying Bane 7 inches, I have this, 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 and this. I'm like, well, I have that one, but I need this one on clear orange. And then this one, I need this one. I don't want the white one. I need the clear one with this. And, and then it gets all confusing because there's five different ones at the different times, and I get confused. So I'm writing lists at work, and what the, I'm confused. Part of the problem was, was that Aaron Dahlbeck is an avid record collector and liked that we could have different color vinyl, that could be limited presses. Because he loves that world. I could okay. give a fuck. If I had my way, every record wouldn't have been on black. Nobody ever pays more than fucking the original price for it. Right. But, you know, I'm not the, I'm not the leader of the band. So right. that was a compromise I had to make and understand that, yeah, I'm going to have these conversations with people like you that are like, <laughs> oh, I got to find this one press. And it breaks my heart. I don't want to be a part of something that makes your life more It's fun. More I'm doing it to myself. It's fun. I just recently, I found something on eBay and the price is a little crazy. So you, some people you could like make an offer. So I made an offer and I'm waiting on a response and it's, it's the, it's the, the 12, it's the, the, the 12 inch, you know, the LP for the note, but it's on, it's on orange and black swirly vinyl. About right. And I saw, I saw, I it's from the, it's the note, and I, and I saw the price. I'm like, oh, but I can make an offer, so I sent them an offer, and I'm waiting back. <laughs> it's a whole shit show. I don't know, man. I could be buying worse things. Okay, I mean, I you know? get it. But it feels good to buy dumb things, especially in this moment in time. Like, just spend a little money and just have something show up in the mail. Mail. I get it. Like, right. I've been doing it too, buying dumb board games. Oh yeah, I buy horror figures like I'm a child. Exactly. Like like this whole Delta Bravo thing. Like Danny, he makes he. he they, I have a shadow box with shit in it, and he he makes like these limited like like one out of fifty like these challenge coins and certain things and different variations and stickers and patches and shirts and. He makes all this stuff, but all of, all this stuff goes like to the outsider's house museum. Plus, it's just cool. And there's there's not a lot of us. It's a very tight knit. We all kind of know each other, and we'll trade off shit. Like, yo, I need this. Co-. Like, you know what he did, which I thought was really cool. So, like, like this whole exploration thing. It's like grown man Goonies type shit. You know, you're yeah, trying yeah. to, you know what I mean. So that's another thing that he made. He, I don't know how he did it, but there's this this logo is embedded onto. He got this template. And you remember the movie, The Goonies, right? Where there's the map where he holds it up and the three rocks in the water like line up. He made, I have one of those. And if you actually go to the location in Oregon and you put that up, it lines up the actual, swear to God. So so on one side, he made a, one of those things, and it's, it says the Delta Bravo Urban Exploration Team on one side. And it was limited to like 50 of them, but there's two different kinds. There's one that's more of a copper color, and then there's the darker one. The darker one, only like 10 are made, so it's like a rare find. So it's like this whole little small, nerdy group of collector guys that we just enjoy it, so it's cool. I get it, man. 
I'm real nerdy about things. I have my own little world of that stuff, so I get it. I celebrate it. Right. I cool. I yeah, cool. man. Well, I dude. Hope you, hope you this... get the offer through on the Bane LP. Me too. Me too. I, don't have more. I used to have a few, and I just give them anyone that would ask. I would just give them away. And that's, yeah, Dolbeck said, like I sent Dolbeck a couple of things. Like, is this legit? Like, is this like legit? He's like, yeah, that's legit. Oh, like, okay. And then he's like, oh, I don't have that, but you know, if I had something, I'd help out. But he's like, if before you buy anything, just ask me because I might have something to help you out with your collection or whatever. Which was like, which was really cool. So plus, I want to make sure that it's not bootlegged. I want to make sure it's legitimate. And, you know. So yeah, you cannot be helpful in that realm at all. I apologize. Nah, apologize for what, man? You ever want to talk about movies? You ever want to talk about killing time and fucking underdog? I'm here for it, baby. I'm awesome. Here. Awesome. Well, this isn't going to be the last. Maybe it won't be a part of another Bane series, but this won't be the last time that we bullshit, bro. No, let's not have that be the last time. I would hate. No, that. without a doubt, no way. Pop it up again soon. Yeah, and hopefully when the, and when, when the world op- when the world opens up again, maybe we'll meet up somewhere eventually sometime. And crazy, I'm gonna come there and we're gonna eat pizza. We're gonna go to the movies. Are you fucking crazy? Sounds like a plan to me, man. Yeah, Sounds like a great time. Spot in Brooklyn, man. Awesome. Yeah. 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 Wow. You yeah. look healthy. You look good. I'm glad you're doing all right through this, man. I yeah, really man. Do. You you the same. You yeah, know. Man. And and thank you so much once again for your time, dude. Pleasure. It was so fun. We'll do it again. Absolutely. I'm a man. Take care. Stay safe, my brother. Peace. Later.